Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, December the 11th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. We're back at the saddle again after a um, uh, a day out of pocket. <laughs> not out of pocket. Not I mean, not off the air, yeah. on the air. A road trip. But not in our, um, in our friendly confines, nonetheless. A road trip. There you go. A road trip. A long weekend, yeah. um, might you say. And we didn't get a lot of phone calls. And I would imagine the majority of uh, content was more uh, listener-oriented than uh, interactive-oriented. But um, thanks to the folks of the um, South Carolina Republican Party for allowing us to be a part of the first in the South Republican um, Action Conference. Action Conference. There you go. Uh, you got your name tag. I didn't keep yeah. my, my main <laughs> I, tag. I did. But I, it was, I kept um, yours for you. It's, it's always kind of interesting to me personally because I get to see people who helped me a great deal when I ran for office that I have not seen. Uh, Sometimes we go to those events, and it's like a family reunion, I mean, for, for you, because you do run into people, specifically you, run into people that you knew when you were campaigning in politics, right? Yeah, yeah. and they were very kind and gracious to me, and um, I don't see those people very much. I do um, keep up with them on Facebook a bit, but uh, you don't get to see eye-to-eye and person-to-person. It's kind of interesting how many of these people steal still have that work ethic, that loyalty to the Republican uh, Party. And it's just, um, I mean, it's inspiring. And uh, and it's its the nature of politics. I mean, I call it the offensive line. I mean, it really and truly is. It's not the people with names on signs or, you know, uh, participating in debates, but rather building the machines that allow people to have signs in yards and, and, uh, and, and participate in debates. And I'll uh, thank you. And I mean that sincerely because i believe as much of a problem as i have with certain um factions of the gop uh a republican beating a democrat is a good day every day in my world is somebody on the phone uh yes in fact someone we ran into at uh, fitzrack on friday morning vert odom hey vert good morning ken dave great to see y'all this weekend and uh it was a great weekend and actually four days started thursday uh got down there and uh, a lot of a lot of great networking, uh, fellowship, uh, like Ken said, saw a lot of people you don't normally get to see uh, through the course of a week. But uh, two big highlights to me, you know, uh, 10 o'clock Saturday morning, Robert Cahaley just just hit it out of the park with the information that he gave everybody that attended that, that particular session. And uh, the big thing was his poll that had been released on South Carolina a couple of days before that showed uh, President Trump with about a 26-point lead on uh, – on Nikki Haley, and then the Iowa uh, poll that he released, he's about 24 points on uh, Ron DeSantos. So those were pretty good things. But the big thing was just a phenomenal amount of uh, education that Robert Cahaley told everybody on what it takes to go into getting a good poll. And it's not just looking at numbers. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes you have to do to make sure you get a reliable poll. And he And he does that, I think, about as well as anyone. Uh, Saturday night, the last evening of the conference, uh, Byron Donalds, congressman from Florida, he just completely hit it out of the park for President Trump, and they just gave a great speech, and uh, it just uh, he really had the crowd riled up, and uh, it was just a just great weekend, Ken, like I said. Good seeing y'all, and uh, appreciate everything y'all do. I, you know, there's uh, not hardly a day goes by, several times a day, as a matter of fact, that someone doesn't mention 
uh, Ken and Dave about Vert. I heard this on Ken's show, and boy, they they you know they they really stay up on everything. I said, yeah, they both work hard at it too, and I appreciate Josh. I think he's a little bit under the weather this morning, and uh, I think some people this weekend was under the weather down at uh, I know Attorney General Wilson got the flu. So he he missed his session that he was going to speak, and I was kind of looking forward to that. But anyway, Ken, appreciate y'all, uh, the people in the PD, and actually all across, across the state of South Carolina. We appreciate what y'all do, you know, five days a week. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate that. Good to see you. And we did bump into a lot of folk down there that I, that I'd gotten to know a little bit in my political days. Josh is a bit under the weather. I'm getting out from under the weather. Um, Riff says it's going around. It was going around a good bit down at the uh, at the event at the convention. Um, it's just that time of year you, you've got, you know, eight degrees in the morning, 80 degrees in the afternoon, rain one day, not the next It's South Carolina weather. Josh, there's an old saying about South Carolina weather. You ready? If you don't like it, give it an hour or two. Right. <laughs> I mean, it'll change 25 or 30 degrees in a, uh, in an hour or two. I did see the data. I've not talked to Robert. I meant to text with Robert yesterday and I got too tied up on NFL football and, you know, getting back from the beach and whatnot. But, um, I, I do want to talk to Robert about this. I mean, they, it's almost like we know what the media is going to do before the media does it now. And the media is beginning to pitch us Nikki Haley. And, I mean, I've got a theory on that. I think the media believes that if we elect Nikki Haley, she'll be a traditional, you know, Bush-like Republican, globalist, neoconservative, interventionist, um, status quo, establishment, whatever word uh, or, or phrase you want to use there. And that's why the media, I mean, it, you know, the great, uh, well, I, mean, I, I don't know if you saw this or not, but remember we played Paul Ryan um, last week. Mitt Romney made the rounds yesterday. Of course he um, did. And, and, and I'll tell I could, you. I could tell you what he said without hearing it. Yeah, he, he would not support Trump, and he might even consider voting for the Democrat. Well, he's voting for the Democrat. Okay. I mean, there's no doubt so about he said, it. He, he and Paul Ryan yeah. both. If it's not Nikki Haley, if um, and they're talking about winning elections. So, so here's the deal. You ready? If President Romney and Vice President Ryan don't get their way— <laughs> Then they're 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 going to bail on the on the GOP yeah. and go support the, the exactly. Democrats. So so in other words, if if Republican President uh, Mitt Romney, remember him, oh, and yeah. Republican Vice President Paul Ryan, if they don't get their druthers, they're going off into their own um into their own pursuit, and uh, that's just kind of embarrassing to me. That and it's really an indictment on the Republican rank and file voter that you tolerated this nonsense for as long as we did. I mean, the most recent Republican presidential candidate not named Trump has publicly said more than one time that he will support the Democrat if it's not the Republican that he chooses. Now, now he has a right to do that. There's no question. Paul Ryan on CNBC, uh, more of a financial operative, acting in kind of a, um, you know, a lobbyist consultant world, um, says that if it's not Donald Trump, if it's not Nikki Haley, um, and he keeps talking about Trump can't win, Haley can win um and then he gets challenged a little bit by becky quick about what the polls say um the first time in in trump's political career he's leading in the wall street journal poll forget kahaley's poll for just a second robert talks a lot about republican primary polls and i think robert does a much better job than the wall street journal at polling republican primary voters so when robert and trafalgar start talking about the lay of the land and the republican primary pay close attention I don't know that Robert is as much an expert. I think he's still a great pollster, but I don't think his claim to fame is the general elections. I mean, I think he's as trustworthy as the Wall Street Journal or NBC or Quinnipiac or Monmouth or whomever. Um, Emory University, I think, had a poll over the weekend 
uh, head-to-head matchups. But right now, I mean, Trump has never led in the Wall Street Journal poll until today. And the data is Trump 47, um, Biden 43. When you add the other third-party candidates, it goes to a six-point lead. So in the head-to-head, Trump plus four, when you add the third-party candidates, it's, uh, it's Trump plus six. Now, now, Nikki's plus 17, I think uh, I, I was read. Gonna say, I was going to ask you, you know, to your earlier point, talking about the media and pushing Nikki Haley, I just saw that headline on Fox that pointed out, in big letters on the screen, Nikki Haley leads Biden by 17 points in head-to-head matchup. Well, I mean, that's the media trying to convince you. That's that part Trump's of the message. The, sure it is. I mean, that's, um, that's to convince the Republican voter. Why take a chance with Donald Trump when you could have a sure thing in Nikki I mean, Haley? Even Fox? Well, I mean, who's on the poll? I mean, who's on the uh, the board at Fox? <laughs> Somebody who's uh, gone on the record said well, he would never support well, Donald Fo- Trump. Fox is not the Fox of old. I know. I, I mean, know. When Roger Ailes passed away, Fox became something uniquely different. I've argued to friends of mine that the reason Fox has become far less news and far more entertainment, I'm talking about the five. I mean, I, I don't, you know, personally, I'm sorry. I don't know how you take that seriously. I mean, it's entertainment. I get that. You want to be entertained. But when Ailes was alive, Fox was news. I mean, it was hard-hitting news. It had a conservative bias, no doubt about it, because Ailes is a conservative lion. But when Ailes passes away, it was obvious to me he was the blood and guts. Now, he's a lot of other things, and we know some of the story there, but, I mean, he was the mastermind behind, you know, moving the meter with news, and it's not news anymore, and I don't think they have anybody capable of um, – of producing and editing and creating quality conservative news, so they've just become somewhat of a um the five. Now, with and, the and, we, and always give, the, we always give Brett Bear well, credit. I mean, I'll give Bear credit. I mean, I think he's a fair arbiter. I mean, I think he does the best job of anybody in media today of calling it like he sees it. I, I do. I mean, I, I give Brett Bear a lot of credit. But but look at how many people watch his show compared to some of the others. Right. Um. I mean, he's, he's kind of a um he's a minor star at Fox News. Now he's a major star, but he hosts debates. And he does give Fox a little bit of credibility when it comes to to that. But I just think when Ailes passed away, Fox threw in the towel about trying to be a serious news network and became an entertainment uh, an entertainment network, and it works. I mean, they have a lot of um, viewers now. Their viewership is in decline, uh, not in pre- as precipitous to decline as um, CNN and, and some of the others. But um, I wish I could have stayed and what um, hung around Saturday and watched Kahaley um, make his presentation and release the poll, and, and as we talked to Drew a little bit on and off the air, Drew McKissick, SCG, OP chairman, I mean, Nikki's got a decision to make, and it's going to be here sooner than later. 80% of the delegates will be chosen by March. I mean, this, you know, we're, we're what, two weeks from Christmas today? Yeah. I mean, I think today, yeah, today is two weeks from, from Christmas, so we're at, I mean, you know, and people are just are not going to pay up Christmas parties and uh, Christmas shopping and holidays and travel and, you know, Clemson fans have a bowl game, a lot of football, uh, NFL. I mean, the people are just not going to be highly sensitive and in tune to politics until after the first of the year. Well, January 15, you got a, you got a, an Iowa caucus. So we're, I mean, in all, in all honesty, guys, we're two weeks out from a caucus. I mean, th- this is kind of like the recruiting dead period. You know, th- there's the recruiting season in college football, and then there's a dead period. The dead period means that you can't, uh, you're not supposed to, communicate with a kid, uh, but you offer cars and, you know, anyway, anyway, <laughs> that's in the old days. It didn't like it, it like it used to be. But we're in kind of the political dead period right now. And it'll get back in business the day after um, New Year's Day, which is a Monday. So three weeks from today, 
we'll get back in business. I mean, that, that'll be New Year's Day, the day after that. And then you've got two weeks until the Iowa caucus. And then you've got what? Another couple of weeks until the New Hampshire primary. And then another couple of weeks until the South Carolina, well, Nevada. I think Nevada caucus is before the South Carolina primary. But um, I just don't know how you make it up. I mean, I just, uh, there, there's no, I mean, there's no path for anybody not named Donald Trump. I mean, there's just not. The guys had a big lead for a long time. And when Kahaley releases the poll in South Carolina, or as Melania says, South Carolina, <laughs> and the, you know, the most recent governor not named Henry McMaster is down, what, 26 points in her home state? Was it 58-22 or somewhere thereabout? So, 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 I mean, it's just, I don't know where you go from there. I mean, and, and will Nikki risk losing in Iowa, losing in New Hampshire, and losing in South Carolina? From a I mean, strategy standpoint, let me ask you this. Let's say that she you know, stayed in through South Carolina and lost by 30 points. And let's say 20 points. Um, does that hurt her future prospects? I don't think there is any future for Nikki. Really? I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I think she's declared her path. I think Nikki Haley, this is her shot. She became the media darling. She became the, the voice of the Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney wing of the party, the establishment insider, you know, Wall Street part of the party, and that's who she decided to be. And that's something, I to me, in days gone by, that would have been a smart move. And, that's out of the and, step yeah, that, that, with the Republican correct. voters. I mean, that, that's, okay. that's, you know, that's not what we're headed. I mean, if, if, if anybody believes... And there are a lot of things I'm less sure of than others. Here's what I'm real sure of this morning. You ready? If anybody believes that this party is going back in one or two election cycles to a globalist, interventionist, controlled party, then you, you know something I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things we can debate on the periphery. But the, that, at the center of where this party is and where it's headed, Nikki Haley made a calculus. Can I rally? It, 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 she's kind of like a test balloon, to be honest with you. And, and it's a little bit like, okay, Nikki, you be the establishment candidate. We'll take care of you. I mean, don't, don't you worry about if the election doesn't work out, which it probably won't, we'll take good care of you. We need to know with clarity what our percentages are. So we offer Nikki up as the establishment interventionist globalist candidate. And what is her number when South Carolina's 22? I mean, that, that, that's, a, I mean that, that's a a wild statistic to me. Um, what is what, what will Nikki do in Iowa? What will Nikki do? Because she is going to reflect what the true old standard of Republicanism is. The, 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 the Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan Bush wing of the party, the Cheney wing of the party. I mean, it's so interesting to me how much airtime Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, and Chris Christie get. I mean, they're so irrelevant in today's Republican Party but they dominate, dominate the media coverage. Mostly on liberal-leaning networks, well, I mean, of course. Well, Trump haters. Yep. You know, do you hate Trump? Yeah, well, okay, be here. Uh, do you hate Trump? <laughs> yeah, okay, be here. Do you hate Trump? Ryan on CNBC, I hate Trump. Okay, show up at the roundtable. Chris Christie's polling at 35 4 5%. I think he's 6% in some polls, um, but he hates Trump. So every time you turn around, Chris Christie is sitting around a, a roundtable talking about his 5%. That, that he's running. Liz Cheney got beat as bad as any incumbent member of Congress ever has. But she's on the um, the Sunday morning shows n nearly every single one yesterday. Why? She hates Trump. She has nothing to offer to the, to the discourse. She hates Trump. Oh, occasionally 
Interviewers will even ask her, hey, are you considering a run for president? Oh, she yeah. says she hasn't made her decision yeah. yet. I got beat 40 in my home state, <laughs> but I'm thinking about running for president. That's rich. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a view. 843-661-0937 is our number. Callers are on the phone. Let's go there. John and Dylan. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Um, first time caller. Uh, Ken, I love your show. I really do. Um, I just wanted to say you were talking about um, Nikki Haley earlier and Washington Post. Why would the Washington Post ever run a poll like that? When you say like that, what do you mean? Against, um, against another Republican candidate when she's not even considered to be the lead candidate. And I think if you go back, you started answering some of it when after I, I called in the show and I, and, I, and I raised my question. But why would they? I never, I've never known them to stack up one Democrat who's, who is clearly the Democrat frontrunner against several different Republicans, and especially in the presidential election. And now they're saying, well, Nikki Haley could even beat um, Biden. Why would you, why would they want to do that? It's chess and checkers. Well, I mean, and thank you for the call. Appreciate that. Well, I'll give you an example. I mean, there are a lot of internal polls done that are never made public. If Dave Baker is going to be the, I mean, it looks like Baker's going to be the Republican nominee, and I'm running a poll for a Democrat, I want to know how I do against Baker, but also Josh is in second place. You know, Josh is DeSantis, Baker's Trump. I want to know. I mean, you've got to strategize. You can't wake up at the last moment and say, but those are internal polls normally. Guys, here's what's happening in America today, right before your very eyes. And it's going to be so interesting to watch itself play out. They're beginning to accept that Trump could win. Remember, there's no way he can win, and he did. There's no way he can win again. Uh, there, there's no way he could win again in 2024. And now they're beginning to, to kind of accept reality. Wow, this guy can win. What can we do? We can't talk his voters out of being for him unless there's a reasonable alternative. And now Haley is up 17. So if you're a Republican, wouldn't you rather have the sure thing? But, I mean, all this is paid for. I mean, this is propaganda. I mean, this is a product of Wall Street and, and you know, Big Pharma and the status quo and the cathedral and the elites. Um, I mean, they're proposing Nikki Haley as a Republican alternative because they know Nikki will do about the same thing that Joe Biden has done. I mean, she's not going to be a disruptor. She's not going to be, forget conservative and liberal. We've had this discussion a hundred times. The days of big government are through. I mean, they're over. They're not coming back ever, 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 ever again. We're, we're talking about government that does X or government that does Y or government that does Z, but we're not going to have a small government. We're not going to ever go back to the days of a limited and small government. I mean, unless we go bankrupt in certain you know, things are forced upon us. But the media today is trying to spin every angle they can spin, create every alternative narrative they can. And the most sellable narrative right now is, you know, if you're a Republican voter, do you want to roll the dice and take a chance that Trump wins or loses because he only he's only up three or four? Nikki Haley's up 17. And she brings, you know, she worked for Trump. She's a Republican. She's from a red state. But, but I think the people see Nikki for what she is. And I'm not being critical of Nikki because I got a, an ax to grind. I don't. I mean, I honestly don't. I just think Nikki has decided to kind of chart her course down the Republican establishment avenue. And that's where she is. That's always who I felt she was. I never felt Nikki was a, a Tea Party Republican. 
I mean, I know when Sarah Palin endorsed her, that would have been the crescendo of the Tea Party. I never believed for a second that Nikki Haley was a Tea Party candidate. I think she's always been an establishment wannabe. And here is her chance, you know, to, to not only be a major political player, but to get unbelievably wealthy. And I don't know what the payoff is on the other side. I don't have any idea what sorts of conversations they've had. But I know when the uh, when the Koch brothers, when Wall Street, when, you know, um, uh, Jamie Dimon, when, when, when I mean, they're, they're Democrat bundlers now giving Nikki about, I mean, I think she raised one, two, three, about four and a half million dollars from Wall Street bundlers at about 250 a clip. So what's that? Four out 16 bundlers from what I, from what I've read and gathered, you know, gave her somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 million. I mean, do you believe they're trying to promote a conservative agenda or a kind of an America first friendly agenda? Of course not. They're trying to stop Trump. So this is not about conservative and liberal. This is about stopping Donald Trump and thwarting the efforts of America first. Nikki is the person that is chosen. It's not that they chose her. She chose to be this. I mean, she went on the campaign trail and said very establishment-oriented things. And I think it was very conceived, uh, preconceived as to, why, as to why she did it. And now the money's rolling in, and it looks to me like it may be her instead of DeSantis. But the polling, I see it doesn't matter. I mean, it just does not matter. If you get Trump one-on-one with anybody else, he's north of 60%. And that's game, set, match. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Florence, good morning. Hey, good morning. So that 17% is just assuming that the Trump voter votes for Nikki Haley no matter what. And I, I don't see that happening. I mean, we saw what happened down in Georgia um, where Republicans stayed home uh, when Trump told them the election was rigged down there on that Senate race. But um, – January 2nd is the last day you can withdraw in South Carolina and have your name removed from, from the ballot for the uh, February presidential primary. Um, so I wonder, are they are they doing this now to see if they can get her polling numbers up in South Carolina so she can see whether she wants to stay on the ballot or not? I mean, that's a that's a question. Or is, is she offering herself up to these elites? Um, to uh, to be this kind of martyr uh, in this chance to overthrow Trump and his reign over the Republican Party, um, and which means that you know she cares more about them than she does her own people in South Carolina. Um, but I, I, I'll ask you this general question, Ken. You know, with with what they're doing with Nikki Haley and the globalists and all this, uh, with her trying to prop her up. I often wonder, do they know the game is up or they, do they know the gig's up and, and they're, I mean, are they just um, scrambling around trying to do whatever they can or do they, they, they think it's still uh, status quo and they just got to do a couple of different things? Thank you, Ken. Thank you. They can't believe that. I mean, they can't. Smart people involved in politics can't believe that. I mean, they can despise it. They can wish it weren't true. But, but you've got an obligation to, 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 to believe your, what you see and what you read, what you feel, what you sense. I looked at the poll just now. So Trump's at 48.7. That's 49. Nikki's at 22.8. That's 23. I'm talking about South Carolina. DeSantis is at 14.4. Uh, Ramaswamy's at 6.1. 
Um, Christie's at four, uh, excuse me, five, eight. I thought it was at about 6% in, in a few of these polls. So Trump's going to get better than half of um, DeSantis's vote. So he's going to get about, well, I mean, it doesn't correlate to exact percentages, but I mean, he's going to get 10%, well, 9% of the 14 that DeSantis has. He's going to get all Ramaswamis. I mean, the Vivek Ramaswamis at 6%. Do you believe a Ramaswamy voter is going to Nikki Haley or Donald Trump? So Trump's going to be at 60%. I mean, I think, I mean, it's just sooner or later, the math, the math is the math. And th- there's a lot of arguments that can be made about why and when and where. And I, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't have any idea the conversation Nikki had with J.B. Diamond. I don't have any idea the conversation you have with the Koch brothers. I, I'm not privileged to any of that conversation. But but I know this. There, there is no conceivable way anybody, and I, this poll only solidifies my belief, there, there is no way that anybody beats Trump in a Republican primary. There's just not. I understand there are things to be learned, things to be found out, things we don't know yet. What is that stranglehold? How much is it Trump and how much is it a, is it America first? But I mean, those are fair debates. Those are honest debates. But what Nikki's getting for basically becoming the elitist establishment's candidate, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I know her well enough to know she's not doing it for nothing. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Friday. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. I got some good news for you. I can't hardly wait. Yes, they went down to 254. 254, I got a full tank. And uh, inflation went down like gas went down, too. Is zero percent in November, and unemployment rate went down three point six. Joe Biden created fourteen point two million jobs in three years. When Trump left the office, he lost three million jobs, and unemployment rate was six point four. People wake up! Don't vote for a dictator. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Williams. Thank you. That's pretty effective. I'll give yeah, the guy credit. I mean, that, that, yeah. If he's on the payroll for the Biden campaign, it might, sounds like. He did a better job than Biden does. Yeah. Some of the uh, Ivy Leaguers he has. Definitely. Disseminating their, their information. <laughs> Funny. Well, I mean, I, this, it's interesting that William would call or Williams would call and say that. I went back and looked at the national poll. Um, in the aggregate, Trump at 46.6, Biden at 44.4. That's kind of reflected in the Wall Street Journal poll. But if you go to the... Um, what they call State of the Union polling, uh, approve 39-9, disapprove 56-6. Biden is about 17 points underwater in that number. But here's the number, and you just don't recover from this. Um, I mean, Williams spun things. I mean, imagine that. I, you know, a Democrat spinning things in favor of their candidate, a Republican spinning things in favor of their candidate. But I still go back to direction of country. I mean, uh, 26% of Americans believe we're – Heading in a right direction, um, 66%, 67% believe that we're headed in a wrong, uh, we're actually on the wrong track. It's right direction, wrong track when you talk about direction of country. And I just don't know how you fix that. I mean, I really and truly don't. Whether it's whether it's fair, whether it's um, accurate, whether it's the way it should be, I don't have any idea. But right now, the Biden administration are trying to convince people that the economy's good, 
Uh, everything's fine. Look at what we've done. And the American people aren't buying it. Now, now the one correction I'll make to Williams, things have not gotten cheaper. They're slow. Well, I mean, I guess gas, uh, I guess gas has over the last little while, but the rate of inflation is slowing. Um, that's called disinflation, not deflation. We're not letting the air out of anything. We're just, um, we're not putting air in as fast as we once, as we once did. So yes, maybe we are in, um, kind of, kind of a disinflation period in the economy, but there is no deflation other than, um, some of the traded commodities like oil, it goes up and down. Uh, but Williams be careful, be very careful because the spring driving season will be here, you know, sometime late February and March, you'll probably see an uptick. You've got Saudi Arabia and OPEC meeting again. Um, so that I, I would, I would be very, very careful in trusting the long-term direction of what the price of gas is. I thought I saw the other day that there was a community notes check on, uh, I guess it's the POTUS Twitter page where he claimed uh, about all the jobs he'd created. And I think the, the fact checker said, well, 72% of the jobs created since January of 2021 have been jobs that have come back that were lost because of the pandemic. And if the federal government workers would go back to work, it would be an even more encouraging number. I don't know if you saw this or not, hmm. but the number of government workers in Washington, D.C., still working from home because of COVID, I guess. I mean, it's crazy the percentage of those workers who are not going back to those offices, taxpayer job, taxpayer offices, taxpayer buildings, um, taxpayer benefits, and they're not going back to work. I think um, the Department of Health and Human Services has about 67% of its employees still working from uh, working remotely uh, from home, but I still go to that right track, wrong track number. And it looks to my, I just don't know how you fix that in, uh, in less than a year, especially when I believe, and a lot of others believe, the economy is going to get soft in either the first or second quarter of next year. There's going to be a significant slowdown. Um, I mean, Jamie Dimon said September, we're in December. So let's say he missed it six months. You know, the, the $7 trillion in liquidity injected or infused into the economy. Well, you know that's going to, I mean, we're, we're extracting, we're quantitative tightening now. So we're taking liquidity out of the economy. That's going to lead to a pretty significant um, economic slowdown, especially combined with um, increased interest rates. I think the Fed's probably finished increasing rates. I did see where the 30-year mortgage has gone down a good bit. That gets complicated and weedy if you aren't careful. The, the story of the 2024 election is going to be this. To what extreme won't they go to try and stop Donald Trump from winning, and does he win anyway? I mean, we're talking about Nikki and what Nikki's decided to do. Nikki's decided to be the establishment media darling of the, of the Republican primary. I mean, that's what she chose to do. Maybe a good move. May not be a good move, but that's what she has decided. She's embraced that. Um, you know, I am taking money from Wall Street. I am taking big money from the Koch brothers. I am um, taking money from some of the military-industrial complex. I did serve on the board at Boeing. She's kind of embraced. She's not running from that. You know, the, the one thing that I'll give Nikki a little credit over to Sanders is he's tried to kind of decide day by day, minute by minute, Am I one of them or one of you? You know, wh wh which am I? Am I here or am I, am I there? I think one of the interesting back and forths we saw in the most recent presidential primary was the issue of transgenderism. You know, I can understand the Republican Party struggling mightily to find its uh, footing on, on abortion. I really can. But I mean, that's a complicated matter. 
Um, we knew once Roe got overturned, some of the states were going to be more conservative. Some of the states were going to be less conservative. Some of the Republican um, you know, extremists were going to want to put women in prison who want to have abortions. You could see that coming a million miles away. I never imagined that we would be where we are in a Republican primary on the issue of transgenderism. <laughs> but you saw Chris Christie and Nikki Haley basically say, you know, I want the parent to be able to choose. And you saw Ron DeSantis say, I'm not letting a parent choose child abuse. And then you saw Ramaswamy say, let's go to, to the North. I think his words were, let's go to the North Star and call transgenderism and uh, gender uncertainty what it is, a mental illness. So you've got all these different ranges of perspectives in the Republican Party. I think Nikki and Chris Christie are out of touch with where most Republican voters are. But, um, but that's where the party uh, finds itself. Abortion was supposed to be complicated. We knew that was going to be extremely uncertain. I just never imagined that we would be, as a party, that confused on uh, on where we stand in a minor child being allowed to mutil- you know, mutilate their genitalia. But Chris Christie says, you know, if a parent wants to do that, uh, you know, if the 12-year-old tells the parent, I'm more the wrong sex, and the parent consents, let the twelve-year-old older twelve-year-old uh, have a kid. I want to go there for a minute. Let, let's see where we should be in that particular matter that was debated um, on the air at the last presidential debate. The issue of transgenderism and sex change surgeries. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, guys. If Williams wants to call in about the gas prices, just tell him to come when when it gets back to dollar seventy nine, like it was on the twentieth of January. I remember it like it was yesterday of nineteen or of twenty twenty one, which was a Wednesday, by the way. That's how clear it is in my mind. I filled up my truck at a dollar seventy nine at the Murphys in Hartsville. Now, when it gets back to a dollar seventy-nine a gallon, tell Williams to call back and tell us how great a job that Joe Biden is doing. And if I remember right, we had 163 million people working at the heights of Trump's uh, presidency, and I'm pretty sure we're not over 160 million right now. I think it's somewhere between 148 and 154, depending on who you count and how many part-time jobs you want to count. Um, Nikki Haley is a product of uh, the media. I mean, they've been saying for the last three weeks, why can't the Republican representatives control their base like the Democrats do? And I thought that was odd coming out of these MBC, you know, MSNBC, CNN, they, they kept these roundtables, kept saying that the Republicans can't control their base. Uh, Democrats control their, I'm going, wow, who are they going to put up? And next thing you know, here's Nikki Haley. So that's, that's the way this works. Thank you, Joe. All Appreciate right. it. Well, I mean, as I said, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, Jamie Dimon, all these people are, um, I mean, they're they're offering up a candidate that the majority of Republican primary voters just don't have much of an interest in. I mean, they just don't. Um, 
you, it's the story of the day today. I mean, Rev's talking about how many times it's been on Fox News. Um, yeah, the know, latest headline was uh, Nikki Haley beats Biden in a landslide. Well, I mean, the people at Fox want Nikki to be president. If not, if not a Democrat so. that they can control, then an establishment-oriented Republican. And Nikki chose, what, a month ago to not try and have it both ways. Remember, uh, the, the, one of the... One of the criticisms I levied against Nikki as she considered whether to run or not, I felt she'd always wanted to have it both ways. She had a foot in one camp and a foot in the other camp. Establishments kept her, um, you know, fed. Very tricky place to be. You can't be there. And I think she realized, okay, I can't be there. Where's the best path forward? And to her credit, she chose the best path. There's no doubt about it. You're not going to out Trump Trump. I mean, you're not going out America first, Donald Trump. I mean, you're just not. I mean, as long as he's there, he's the original article. And people are going to, the America first Republican are going to vote for Donald Trump by a high percentage. Ron DeSantis probably choice two when it comes to America first voters. Ah, probably Ramaswamy would be the second choice. And then, you know, Ron DeSantis and then Nikki Haley. So Nikki said, okay, somebody probably sat down with her and said, look, this strategy of trying to have it both ways is not going to work. It's just not. We got to choose a course, and that's probably the most, uh, probably the best decision she could have made at that time. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is with us this early Monday morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I am well. So as we begin the new week, do we know for certain, or with any degree of certainty, that the Republicans will vote? to formalize some of the uh, some of the Biden impeachment hearings or Biden impeachment processes. Yes, we are expecting that to happen at some point this week, though the big question is going to be, are there going to be enough votes there for Republicans to be able to pass this through the House? Because, as you know, the, the majority for Republicans is so incredibly slim, especially when you have even more members uh, planning on retiring in the near future. And some have not been showing up to their votes as as they normally would, like former Speaker McCarthy. So. If, if they don't have full attendance or they just have a couple of defectors, this thing's going to get sunk. But, Ryan, we do expect, despite it being so tight, you do expect that there will be a vote this week? Yes, we are expecting a vote to be this week, yes. That, that'll be very interesting, despite not being certain how, how it turns out. <laughs> mm-hmm. The um the logic of yesterday does not apply today in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Hey, have a good one. Thank you. That's kind of an interesting, you know, I thought Ryan would say that they'll, you know, cooler heads will prevail. You don't bring a vote to the floor unless you're certain you have uh, the votes required. Yeah, but, but you just said something. You said logic in Washington. Well, I mean, the, the logic of yesterday. <laughs> right. I mean, the logic of yesterday does not apply here um, today. Maybe that's the biggest debate we're having um, internally and externally about politics is the logic. Where is the logic that applies and carries the day now? I mean, it's not the logic of yesterday. I mean, there's a new normal in American politics. There's a new reality, a new practicality, a new, I, I don't know, a new playbook, a new set of rules, a new set set of guidelines. I mean, I don't think it's all about Trump. I think it's largely about Trump, but I certainly don't think it's all about all about Trump. I want to go back to something that we touched on in the previous hour, uh, 843-661-0937, our number I'm not going to pick on Josh because he's under the weather today, but I want to get you, you two guys here. So, so we agreed, the three of us, Republicans, we agreed that there was no way around the issue of abortion becoming complicated. And we'd probably goof it up. 
I mean, you know, we, we'd have some of these I think we said that back then. We, we did. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard to take yes for an answer. It's easy to say that Roe did not have the constitutional underpinning, therefore should be overturned. Um, the dog chasing the car, all of a sudden the car stops, the driver gets out and says, okay, dog, it's yours. What do you do with it now? And I think once Roe got overturned, that's where Republicans found themselves. And there was a, uh, you know, a multitude of opinions and perspectives and, and beliefs based on religion and political ideology and science and biology and medical and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was a complicated matter, and the Republicans have not been able to be consistent in how, in convincing the American people they have a certain perspective on abortion. I didn't think transgenderism was that complicated for our side. And there is sides here. I mean, there's a conservative side and a liberal side. There's an R and a D, and it'll be a binary choice. But I just never imagined. I mean, that, that would have been my surprise takeaway from the debate um, that nobody watched, and nobody hardly watches these things anymore. The logic of, um, of yesterday, <laughs> uh, the debates matter. No, they don't. Not with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and social media. I don't need to. I don't need to be on network television for two hours or cable television for two hours to get my message out. I don't need to be um, challenged by members of the media. I do my own thing my own way. But it was very interesting uh, when Chris Christie basically said that, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of government. Therefore, a parent should be allowed to make a decision if a 12-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid, 10-year-old for that matter, tells mama or daddy, I think I'm born the wrong sex. The parent can counsel the kid. They can make a determination. They can go have their genitalia mutilated and the government not do anything about it. And I'm not a big fan of government, but but I am probably more in tune. I mean, I know I believe what Ramaswamy believes. Here's an interesting stat for you. Ready, Josh? Um, the the 5% of people under the age of 30 identifies transgender. Three-tenths of 1% over the age of 30 identifies transgender. Yeah, what's going on here? Who's wrong? I mean, either they are or we are, right? I mean, either we're not identifying properly or they're over-identifying as trans. Let me say that again. It's a uh, trend. I mean, under it's a fad. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and a fad. And what's the influence? But, but, but I mean, what, 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 what is to be said about a fad when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, when your junk's laying on the floor? Detached. Right. I mean, you see where yeah, I'm headed? No turning back. I mean, so some 10-year-old some boy decides he's a girl. The parent consents, goes and have a surgery done, and, and you know, five years later, 10 years later, comes to their senses and says, man, I mean, I should have never bought that flowery shirt. That was a bad fad. No, you, you've done so, something t- eternal. <clears throat> I mean, it's crazy what we're doing. But, but the Republican Party had a very conflicting message in the debate. And I just never saw that coming. I mean, I figured that, I mean, it was Megan Kelly. So she's a little bit more friendly to the right than the traditional debate moderator is, but I figured the debate moderator, if NBC or ABC or CBS or some other elitist journalist, I mean, I figured they would force the Republicans to argue about abortion. I mean, I really did. I mean, you would, you would expect that. Um, NBC news is hosting a Republican primary debate. We're going to make them talk about abortion 75% of the time because we know they can't get their feces consolidated. <laughs> but you would have figured they'd have been on the same page with this issue, with the it, it, transgender me, but, but issue. They I mean, they, but they were. But who are the suspects? Well, I mean, but think of this. Chris Christie, Christie and Nikki, and Nikki Haley. Haley. 
And I mean, is there a transgender lobby that I'm missing out on? <laughs> there I mean, might I, be. I, I, I know Nikki will appease to lobbyists. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. She loves to be popular amongst the lobbying class. But is there a transgender lobby that I'm not aware of? Uh, Christie basically said that his, I mean, his principle is he's not a fan of big government. Therefore, the parent should have the authority. I think DeSantis had the line of the night when he said, you can't, I mean, the government can't allow child abuse. I mean, if the parent has control over the kid and the kid misbehaves and the parent doesn't do anything about the kid misbehaving, okay, that that's one thing. Um, what if the parent overreacts and abuses the child? You know, the child, let, let's say a, a 10-year-old steals a, a cookie at, at, uh, day, at uh, daycare. Or a, that's a seven-year-old. Seven-year-old goes to kindergarten, steals a cookie, uh, goes home, and the parent nearly beats the kid yeah, half to rip, death. Rip, rips his arm off. Yeah, th- there you go. There you go. Or, um, you know, in, in the in the in some of the Middle Eastern country, cuts two fingers off. That don't teach you. You won't steal again now. I mean, is that parental consent? I mean, is that where the Republican Party is? I mean, that's a weird place to be. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow. Yeah, that was surprising. I, mean, that, that, I will that's, say. That's pretty wild there. I mean, I think Ramaswamy basically characterize how most Republicans feel that transgenderism is a mental illness. That's where I stand. I mean, I think transgenderism is a mental illness, but there's no way. So so here's the question I'd ask limited government conservatives. If a parent consents in allowing their 10-year-old child to have a sex change operation, what is the responsibility of government? I mean, to me, it's to say, no, you can't do that. I mean, that's a minor child. Well, once that child becomes, um, you know, of age, once that child, ter- and is it 18? Is it 21? Is it the age you can go to fight in war, 18, or t- drink a beer, 21? A little bit of hypocrisy in that number or set of numbers. But but I, I just, I wonder where the majority of Republican voters are. We've had extensive debates on abortion. And I don't know that we still understand exactly where we stand on abortion. You've got conception. You've got viability. You've got... Uh, you've got uh, rape, incest, life of the mother. You've got a lot of complexities that deserve serious consideration, and it should require um, a long and extensive debate about where we stand there. But but when I when I <laughs> I'm watching the debate and I hear us, but I'm like, didn't see that coming. So there's no consensus amongst the Republican presidential candidates on transgenderism, what should be allowed or not. Um, of Americans under the age of 30 identifies transgender. Three-tenths of 1% over the age of 30 identify as transgender. To Josh's point, it's a bit of a fad. I mean, it's it's like, you know, this color blue, that color green, this car, that car, uh, this kind of tire. I'm going to this place on vacation. But this is something far more serious, isn't it? I mean, does it not concern Republican voters that two of the candidates basically said, in the name of limited government, I would rather a parent be allowed to kind of um, nurture, uh, shepherd a child through the process of discussing, you know, were they bought, born? Uh, I mean, that, that's just kind of evil to me. And, and and I do believe, as a limited government conservative, our job is to I don't say keep people from hurting themselves, but if we're going to protect the unborn, shouldn't we be as serious about protecting, you, you know, the, the minor child in regards to trying to make a determination 
about having a sex change operation. That's just weird to me. I mean, that's just weird where Chris Christie and Nikki Haley landed. And I don't have any idea. I mean, they're establishment Republicans. But what am I missing here? What 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 is behind door number two that I don't know anything about? I mean, I, I've never heard. I mean, we know there's a financial lobby. We know there's a manufacturing lobby. We know there's a a military industrial complex. We understand some of these you know enormous forces in politics. But but when you are a conservative and you say that you know basically a minor child should be allowed to have a sex change operation because. I don't think government should meddle in the affairs of what? Of whom? But haven't we found out recently that apparently this is big business? General mutilation? These transgender surgeries. Yeah, yeah. Has I, mean, I guess it news? is. I, I don't yeah. know. But, but, but is there, there's, there's money being well, made. Maybe during the next break I can Google, you know, the transgender lobby. Is it that significant? I mean, are there that many young kids going to, you know, medical care providers and having their sex change? Is there that many discussions? Let's do this, guys. Let's walk through what should happen. So let's say the 10-year-old boy or girl goes to the parent and says, Mom, Dad, I think I was born the wrong sex. I mean, hypothetically, Rev, your kid comes to you, 10 years old, and says, Dad, you got a second? Yeah. Um, Can I borrow $20? That's what you're expecting to hear, right? No, that's not the case. Can I go spend a night with Jane or Jen? No, that's not the case. Dad, um, I think I was born the wrong sex. I mean, what is your response, Rev? Um, wow. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, okay. But you got to see some of this coming, don't yeah, you? I would think so. But I mean, there are some abnormalities and, and, and associated with you want to help. I mean, there's a situation sure, there that need, needs to be addressed and you need to provide some help. So that's the point I'm making. If Josh says we're in a faddish period, 5% of young people under the age of 30, I mean, by definition, that's young people under the age of 35% say, that they identify as transgender, are there are there those conversations happening? Uh, what what sort of advice should the parent give? How how willing should be the parent to get involved in that in that conversation? I, I don't know. It was unusual to me that the Republican Party had as interesting and inconsistent of views on that relationship. And I'm talking about government, parent, child, government, parent, child. Chris Christie had. An opinion about government, parent, child. Nikki Haley concurred with a Christie opinion. DeSantis said, you can't let parents abuse children. I mean, the government has to step in, intervene, and stop that from taking place. And then Ramaswamy, as he typically does, I mean, he says something even more extreme, that let's start at the North Star. And that is that transgenderism is a mental illness. And it should be designated as a mental illness. So here's my question again, because I thought about what Vivek Ramaswamy said. So when the 10-year-old comes to the parent and says, I'm pretty sure I was born the wrong sex, do we diagnose that kid as mentally ill? I mean, do we treat that kid as mentally ill? What is the parent's obligation to outreach, to reach out to someone in that sphere, understands Mm -hmm. that diagnosis? And when when um, I said offer help as a parent, that's kind of what I was thinking about. To get them some sort of psychiatric yeah, care? Well, let's you know, figure this well, out. I mean, do, you, do you agree with Ramaswamy that it is indeed a mental illness? Mm-hmm, I, I do, do too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I believe it's I a do. mental illness. So so we treat it as a mental illness, but but you don't, I mean, Christie and, and Haley said, you know, the government doesn't need to interfere with a relationship a parent has with their 
with their child. That's pretty bizarre to me. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I'm getting texts saying just don't let the government pay for it. That's not, I mean, I understand that, and I, I'm with you. But, but the question is, does the government, I mean, we're conservatives. Does the government have a role or responsibility in interfering with the relationship of a 10-year-old kid who tells his parent, I was born the wrong sex, and the parents consent to allow him to have his gender or her gender mutilated and a sex uh, change operation performed? Is there a fundamental role of government in protecting that 10-year-old kid from what I would argue, and Ron DeSantis says, is an abusive parent? That's fundamentally the question I'm asking. And the Republican Party has multiple positions on that. Well, let me back up. The, the candidates that were on the stage last week have multiple positions. Chris Christie and Nikki Haley say no. I mean, if the 10-year-old says they want a sex change and the parent consents, that there's nobody doing anything wrong. Now, now, I believe the best way to address it, and I don't know how you do this without more government. But, I mean, I, you know, I'm with Ramaswamy, and I'm with DeSantis. I believe that transgenderism is a mental disease. I believe that allowing a parent to, to let a kid have sex, have his or her sex change as a 9- or 10-year-old is child abuse. Doesn't laws prohibit that? Right. I mean, don't, don't. It shouldn't even be an option. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be. I mean, to me, it shouldn't, but, but Chris Christie and Nikki Haley said it should be. I know. I mean, the parents have a right to make that decision. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. Yeah, what they ought to do is whip every doctor's butt that does that operation. And anybody in the hospital that's behind it, they'll need their butts taken around back and kicked, is what they need. And I'll tell you the other thing, too. It is just, this is just goes to show you the total evil behind the cathedral. This is, uh, this is targeted at young, at young boys. You know what I'm saying? The last thing the cathedral wants, as I said before, is a bunch of men running around. And I'll tell you where this is starting. See, it, for my boys, when I was raised to them, trust me, they knew they, they, knew they were boys. And they, there wasn't no ifs, ands, and buts about it. If you raise them with the Bible, and you tell them about homosexuality as a sin. And, you know, and these doctors and hospitals that do this are working for Satan. And, you know, and you got to call out this kind of evil. And these politicians are a bunch of blood, blundering idiots. You know, and I'll tell you another thing. This goes through everything that they're doing, and it's all part of it. From the electric vehicles, which is nothing but a way, I can talk an hour on it, but it's just a way to control us. It's just a way to subjugate us. And we're falling for it. And a lot of these idiots hold the left, and they're not liberals. They're leftist nutcases. They're Marxists and they're godless. And anybody that will sit there and have a serious conversation about castrating a 10-year-old boy needs his ass whipped. It's just that damn simple. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. So let's go that step further. Should there be consequences for the healthcare community if a parent carries a 10-year-old kid, boy or girl, into a health care facility, and the laws of that state allow that health care provider to mutilate that genitalia, perform a sex change operation, should there be any consequence to the health care provider? Should there be laws that make that illegal? 
I mean, I, I got to be honest. I mean, I'll play the hypothetical for a second. If I were a member of the General Assembly, I'm not. We have three with us normally on Fridays. Um, two, three, uh, always one, most times at least two, sometimes all three. But if I were a, a sitting member of the South Carolina General Assembly and somebody introduced a bill that said we're going to make illegal, we're going to make illegal a 10-year-old kid with the consent of their parent going to a health care facility and a sex change operation being performed. We're going to make that illegal. Okay. What if somebody breaks the law? Is it the parent? I mean, it can't be the minor child, right? I mean, is it the parent or the health care provider that should suffer the most severe consequence? I mean, the parent can't perform the surgery. They're not a doctor. I mean, I guess in some cases, you know, the parent of a doctor or the child of a doctor would, you know, kind of put two checks in or two checks in two boxes at the same time. I just think it's, it's, I just never imagined, and I know I'm going a little overboard here, but it blew me away when I said, damn, we don't have a consistent position there. Right. It, it shouldn't even be a, a choice on the menu of items available at a healthcare facility um, until you're, I mean, until you're 18. Until okay, you're but, but for, let's for go all children? the way back to the beginning. Josh, let's, let's go back. I, I know you're under the weather, but I need you real quick. You ready? Yeah. Is there an example of a kid born the wrong sex? No. Okay. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, that, that's what I've established as true. Um, I think there's confusion. I mean, I, I think there's a, a lack of adaptation. I think there's a lot of crazy things. That, that, But I don't think children are born. Now, there are rare examples, rare, rare, rare examples of a, you know, a baby being born with um with, with multiple, you, you know, I mean, what's, what's the name? What am I trying to? I mean, there's but it's a, like a physical. Uh, sure. But there, there's a um, there, there's a terminology, a medical terminology of a kid born hermaphrodite. With, yeah, yeah, born with both a, a male and female sex organ. Um, I mean that that would be the most rare, 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 rare of occurrences. But I mean, sometimes when I get real confused about where exactly I stand, I put myself in the place of a lawmaker, and I'm thinking about okay, if I'm sitting on a subcommittee or a committee or in a general. Um, you know, in, in the full body, and, and somebody brings a piece of legislation um, to me. And I'm telling you guys, we got to get our, our feces consolidated here because we appear to not be. I mean, I, once again, I expected a very sophisticated, complicated, disagreeable debate on abortion. I really did. I mean, I knew, and most of us that keep up with politics knew that was going to be a complicated matter. In all honesty, politically speaking, not, not for the sake of the unborn, and I think that's far more important than the political expediency. But the politics of abortion for the Republicans were better off having Roe v. Wade still rule the land. I mean, having, and we can always run against the constitutionality or not of Roe v. Wade. But once it was overturned, we had to make some pretty serious decisions. I didn't believe we were that confused or that um, in disagreement when it came to, to transgenderism until I saw two presidential debates or excuse me, two presidential candidates say something that left me scratching my head as a Republican voter. And then I heard Ron DeSantis basically say, you know, it's um, it's child abuse. And we've got laws on the books to stop parents from abusing children. Let's go to the phone. Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Man, y'all got a good one going on today. But, um, no, I think it's more societal. Um, you know, it's Ken, probably when you were a little boy, just like me, I thought girls had cooties up to a certain age, and I much preferred the company of boys. 
you know, they were my friends. And now, you know, and there was always some sissy boys, and we made fun of them and blah, blah, but now we want to put a label on everybody. And we have been sexualizing young people for a lot of years. You just go through any store and check out bathing suits for little kids. And it's incredible the way we have gone to links. But right now we've got a desire to label everything. Oh, you're a sissy boy. You must be gay. And they'll, they'll tell these kids that at nine years old. You know, and to me that's abuse. But what I wanted to bring up is it is there is some intellectual inconsistency here. A cornerstone of DeSantis' whole platform is put parents in charge, especially, you know, with public schools. And, you know, if you put parents in charge, you put parents in charge. You don't let big brother government come in. And I think that's what Haley, you know, is talking about. If we're going to put parents in charge, they're in charge. What if a parent is a, you know, hardcore Nazi? Is it child abuse to let them bring their children up in that ideology? You know, I think it is, but put parents in charge. Likewise with schools. You know, if we're going to let public money fund the First Baptist Charter School, you know, for the word of Jesus Christ, I don't think that's a bad thing. But if we fund that, we also have to fund the Elijah Muhammad um, Charter School for Radical Islam. Rick, is it is it fair? And and I'm just telling you how I feel about this. I understand. Um, I, I, let, let's use his uh, his point on making Christianity the official religion of public education in America today. But that doesn't have a permanent effect. I mean, I mean, once you have a sex change operation performed and you're no longer a girl, but you're now a boy at ten or eleven years old, there's a lot of life left to be led after that fact. So so. I mean, I'm, I'm not excusing or defending, and I agree it's hypocritical. There, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of hypocrisy, and I like delving in the, into the hypocrite. I like to get myself confused. I mean, I'll be honest with you, because it makes me think at a higher degree about what I believe and why I believe it and, and, and what I should believe. But, but when you talk about religion and a, a basically a state-endorsed religion over all the others, you can kind of sort of undo that. But, but once a 10-year-old has a sex change operation, from what I've gathered— I mean, that, that's it's it's a non-reversible. It's permanent. A permanent effect. I guess he hung up. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I wanted Rick to take Oh, there he is. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Okay, I 1,000% agree with you. Genital mutilation is a crime. And anybody who does that, I've seen it a lot, though. But what I'm saying is what I see is what I've seen throughout my career in public education, which I'm now retired, by the way, but I saw us desiring to put labels on these kids we'd push them toward that and that's what's got to stop you know sexualizing children pushing labels on it but yeah genital mutilation should be i think illegal at any age but at least until they reach their adulthood and can make that decision for themselves so is it best to just admit in some places of all of our lives there's some hypocrisy we're not we're not able to live our lives completely immune to being somewhat hypocritical at times. Ken, I'm the biggest hypocrite you know. I'm a self <laughs> No, you're not. No, no, you're not. I, you, you would be second. I'm number one. I can assure you with that. No, I'm a self-professed libertarian who is collecting a pension from the state. How <laughs> but, do you but, get more, more you know, hypocritical than that? Yeah, but you earned that. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. I just think we're all, um, I mean, we, we, 
I don't know that there's any embarrassment nor shame. I think there's a little pride and honor in admitting that as I think through some of these, you know, very sophisticated and complicated issues, I'm going to find myself at times hypocritical. And and, and if you want to live your life in, in total or removed totally from hypocrisy, good luck with that. I mean, good luck with that. I think I think thinkers, people who take their their notions seriously that want to be considered somewhat serious and how they ended here or there or somewhere else. I think hypocrisy is something you're always, always bumping into. Take a break. Back in a few. I'm sure they don't speak for everyone, but the American Medical Association has urged governors to oppose state legislation that would prohibit medically necessary gender transition-related care for minor patients. Once again, I don't know that that is a reflection of how all doctors feel, but the American Medical Association, once again, publicly urging governors to oppose any form of state legislation that would prohibit some of these, um, they're calling them medically necessary. Wow, okay. Um, in some of the transition-related care for minor patients. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Larry in the PD. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to say a couple of things. One thing is, is that Republicans need to let go of this nonsense of, well, if the government does this for a Christian church, then it's got to do it for a Muslim church. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There is, that, that logic takes you absolutely nowhere. That's like saying, well, if the government gives, uh, you know, makes a law that says this is illegal, then it has to make everything illegal. And that's just not true. We seem to think that if there's a single solitary alternative to the course that the government takes, i.e. it creates a minority, that we have to do for the minority what we are doing for the majority, and that's just not the case. There's, there's, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that the government has to give equally to everything or agree that everything is equally good because there's some alternative. Because to say to that guy, well, if we, if we fund religious charter schools, do we have to fund the Church of Satan? No. Don't be ridiculous. Of course you don't. There's no law that would say you have to do that. I mean, that would invalidate every law. So that's nonsense, and Republicans need to quit that crap. We are a society that gets to choose how we want to live, and the purpose of government is not to see to it that every good and every bad alternative gets equal treatment. We're supposed to be promoting what? What is it? You know, Promote the general welfare. Not everyone's welfare, the general welfare. Not every little thought you have, and the idea – that gender-affirming care is medically necessary only shows that the psychological institute is useless because what they're saying is this is a mental illness that we can't cure, and the suicide rate of these people is extraordinarily high. So we're just going to give in to their mental illness, chop off the parts that they object to, and hope that they don't kill themselves because we don't have a treatment. They've just admitted failure. That's what they've done, and they've moved it from psychological care to medical care. They've put this on the medical profession, which is just lazy. That's all that is, and that's because they haven't been taught anything in psychology for the last 50 years except everybody's okay and whatever they think is just fine, and that's just not the case. If you went to a psychologist and said, I believe I could live without my heart inside of me, and if someone doesn't take my heart out, I'm going to kill myself, would we say that taking someone's heart out is medically necessary? 
Of course not. They're doing it all under the threat of suicide, and it's just nonsense. These people need help. It's just that these quacks can't help them. So they've decided to accept them. It's nonsense. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. I didn't know the American Medical Association had taken that official stance, but they actually sent a letter to all the governors in America urging them to oppose state legislation. And I think this is interesting wording because I've been in politics that would prohibit medically necessary. I mean, that gives them a little cover, right? I mean, the, the, um, the, the business of medicine, medically necessary gender transition related care for minor patients calling such efforts, a dangerous intrusion into the practice of medicine in a letter to the national governors association, the AMA American medical association cited evidence that trans and non-binary gender identities are normal variations of human identity and expression. They're not normal at all. There's nothing normal about that. And that forgoing gender affirming care can have tragic health consequences, both mental and um, physical. So there, and once again, I don't think the AMA speaks for every single medical doctor, but it's a powerful lobby. Um, you know, what is the, what, what is the, the, uh, I mean, I, we know an abortion of Planned Parenthood, some of the, uh, some of the uh, organ harvesting that happens. I don't have any idea what, what the upside. I mean, Larry's on to something here. It's kind of like in, instead of making it real complicated, let's just say it's as simple as these people were born the wrong sex. They believe they were born the wrong sex. Um, it's our job to provide medically necessary care, and, and, you know, because they're born the wrong sex. But, but once again, that's why I asked Josh, do you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And, and, you know, do you believe someone was born the wrong sex? Uh, I don't. I think there are, I think one of the most interesting curiosities in the world today is why someone ends up gay. Why does someone end up homosexual? I mean, you know, I had an opinion for a long time, and I probably changed my opinion two or three or four times. I mean, that's one of the, um, I mean, obviously I'm not certain about any of this by any stretch of the imagination, but I do have a great deal of curiosity about this person or that person or their sister or their brother or their daughter or their, or their son. Why did they decide to be homosexual? You know, how much of that was, uh, you know, a, a byproduct of where they live and how they were raised. And there's some sort of, um, is there some sort of inner spirit that lives within, you know, that, that leads them to believe that they're, you know, um, more attracted to males than they are females or more attracted uh, to females than they are males. But to me, homosexuality is uniquely different than transgenderism. Homosexuality is I am attracted. I'm physically attracted to a, a person of the same sex. Transgenderism is I believe I was born the wrong sex. I think God made a big mistake. I mean, to me, I just don't think they're the same. I'm sorry. I just, I mean, I understand it's all, you know, I mean, there's some people that's all evil. It's all sin. It's all this. It's, I, I still think we owe it a more serious debate than that. And I think when you start mutilating genitalia on minor children, it, it, it deserves a far more serious conversation. And my entire point of view, guys, I mean, the reason this is a, a subject we're discussing this morning is we talk a lot about Republican politics. And I was surprised at the Republican debate last week when they had a lot of different opinions. Uh, Christy and Nikki Haley had an opinion, and I'm like, wow, okay. I just don't think that's where the majority of Republican voters are. 
but they were trying to be, I guess, intellectually consistent with what they believed. But I think Larry's right. That's saying that everything government has ever done is fair or everything government has ever done is unfair. In the name of treating people the same, we're not worried about whether it's right or wrong, fair or unfair, as long as we're treating people the same. Government have an obligation to do that. I mean, to me, the general well, I, mean, I think Larry nailed it, the general welfare. It doesn't mean Rev's got to be treated exactly the same as Ken on every piece of policy he's ever passed. In general, we're going to try to look after the welfare and well-being of our society. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Kind of a deep subject on a Monday morning. I did study a good bit on the debate Rev and I had Friday while we were at Fitzrack over the air about the um, the Biden administration going after some of the um, some of the big pharma patents. And um, I did a, a good bit of digging over the weekend about how that came to be, how that came about, what their leg is um, to stand on. S- some, some of these macro central debates, and it seems to me that we're talking about, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I keep going back to one of, the, one of my buddies. And several years back, I mean, he and I would get extremely frustrated about the line moving, you know, the things that weren't so easily accepted in America 20 years ago. Or, or a little more, I mean, you know, all of a sudden they're mainstream and, you know, you move a little bit more and you move a little bit more and you give a little bit more and you, and you give a little bit more. And, uh, and, and Breeze, sa- Breeze says it in a very colorful way. But, but to me, the ultimate line of demarcation will be, um, you know, kind of a God-centered, organized universe or not. And, and if you don't believe that God is at the center of the universe, then you can believe about what you'd like to believe. And you can, you know, kind of float it around for a day or two or three. And if you're wrong, you know, kind of head off in another direction because you've really not anchored what you believe in anything fundamental. It, it's more transient. It's more um, transactional, it's negotiable, you know. Um, and I guess politics lends itself, Reb, to a certain part of bartering, you know, uh, compromise and moderation and, you know, negotiations and, I mean, to me, if you aren't careful, the world of politics can become, I mean, everything's on the table with negotiation. You don't believe anything. Uh, Rev's got a, a stance, and I got a stance, and and Josh has a stance, but based on what? Uh, based on political expedience, what can we achieve? What is possible? I mean, I find myself very guilty of that at times. I, I just think some of these issues that we talk about, like transgenderism, like abortion, are eternal. I mean, they really and truly are. I don't have any idea what, what, how much debt the country will have in 100 years if it's still here. I don't have any idea what the tax rate will be in 100 years if the country's still here. But, but I, I believe that a male has always been a male, will always be a male. A female has always been a female, will always be a female. Um, it, it's not like life conception doesn't change when a nation is $33 trillion in debt. You know, um, the, the anatomy of a man and a woman don't change. And I do believe that some of these, uh, I, I, I'll say this, some of the some of the more virtuous issues, I find myself leaning on my belief in God. You know, what does God think about this? What does God think about that? Um, I don't know that God bores himself with a nation's federal debt or marginal tax rate or, you know, where the, where, where the convention should be held. But I do believe and I'm not trying to read God's mind because I'm not capable of that. 
But I do believe that when we start talking about abortion, when we start talking about gender mutilation, when we start talking about minors having sex change operations, I do believe God turns the radio up a little bit and says, what are my people saying now? I mean, let let me hear this a little more clearly uh, than I do some of the other nonsensical things they discuss. Back 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Danny and Camden, good morning. Hey, good morning. I'm sitting here listening to y'all talk, especially about a, a, a God-centered type style of government. And we got Vivek Ramaswamy up there, and I agree, and I'd love to hear some of the things he says about policies and so forth. But how do you vote for a Hindu in a Christian government? And also, I go to Minneapolis, and I don't know if anybody's seen that movie, Fall to Minneapolis, but how in the world are we supposed to think about our government when you can look at everything that the federal government did to act on the uh, George Floyd situation. And I'll let y'all talk. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Josh, I got something for you. And I know you're under the weather, but Josh gives good answers to this. Because uh, Rev will tell you in a minute, I'm not that crazy about telling you what I think. I mean, I'm good. <laughs> Rev has often said, I, I tell my opinion enough. That's fine. Yeah. Josh wants to be a radio show host. <laughs> Part of that is having to give your, think, your opinion. And I think he likes the controversy He does. Sometimes. He does. And he's got some controversial yeah, opinions. That's good. Uh, a couple of... Freak me out. But anyway, that's, that's just, when your opinion freaks me out, you, you're, you're, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> would you rather have a really smart Hindu or a really dumb Christian run of the country? Um, probably, uh, a smart Hindu okay. or it, it depends, you know, like a, a so-called Christian like George Bush versus uh what, what do you mean by that now? What? well i don't i don't doubt his his faith but uh i i doubt his his um when, when i vote for a christian because they're christian it's because i think they're pers- pushing christian virtues and so vivek might be a hindu but I think he is pushing Christian virtues more than he than someone like George Bush so you don't believe a president has to be a Christian no. I mean, preferably. Preferably, I mean, it, yes. For me, see, I'm with you. It doesn't, I mean, I'm not electing the. Uh, I take I'm Vivek a, over Haley, and well, she's it, a Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, okay. Um, 843-661-0937. Is <laughs> someone on the, on the other line? Uh, uh, we got it ringing. I mean, I yeah. saw, I think so we had somebody on the phone, and it hung up. Anyway, um, do we have a call? Yeah, I, I want to let, let that be. Uh, I don't. I don't want to go down the road of being judgmental. I don't. I mean, I, I'm very careful. <laughs> the one thing that I am sort of proud of, one of my personality traits, is I don't tend to be judgmental. I mean, I really and truly don't. I mean, I got a lot of flaws. <laughs> I got a lot of things. It's easy to sound judgmental in, in it, some it of the things is. we when, talk about. It is when you're talking here. about someone's faith yep. and and their relationship with God in heaven. I mean, it's easy to sound. It's almost impossible to go down that road without being judgmental. I mean, it really and truly is. I've just offered it in kind of a generic sense. I mean, there's no doubt that Ramaswamy, I mean, he has said that, but he, but nobody doubts he's smart. I mean, you can say he's too outspoken. He's a blowhard. Uh, he's a, you know, a lot. I mean, Chris Christie despises him and he despises Chris Christie and they insult one another. And I get all that, but, but nobody can doubt he's dumb. I mean, he's a smart guy. You can't say he's too dumb to be president. I mean, there are a lot of people that have run are probably too dumb to be president, but he's not one. I mean, he is a, He's a high IQ, motivated entrepreneur. Um, I would rather have a highly motivated, really smart, very curious about what makes the world go around, someone of a different religion than I, 
than some dumb do-what-I-say person who shares my faith. Let's go to the phone. Rujan in Darlington. Good morning. You're on. Good morning, guys. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the balancing factor in, in, in a Hindu, uh, somebody's into Shintoism or uh, Jehovah's Witness or Christian or Catholic, the balancing factor in the United States is the Constitution. Um, and if that person adheres to what the Constitution says, then it should not be an issue. I mean, I've had to I've had to go into situations where, you know, the guy next to me was a Muslim, and his goal was to uh, give the enemy every opportunity to die for their country, and and that was my goal too. So we had a we had a a a, a, a you know a shared you know belief there, and that was you know we're going to work to do everything we can do to make sure the United States survives. And that our freedom survives. So, you know, that's one of those. That, that's that's the determining factor. I don't care about Ramaswamy and and uh, or Nikki Haley or Donald Trump and and what they're. You know, yes, it, it makes a difference about you know their Christian beliefs on a on a, uh, a personal level, but as a on a national level, as long as they adhere to the Constitution and you know something that I have sworn to protect the and defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic, I'm good. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate that. There's a bit in a Seinfeld stand-up routine when he, um, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld's, I mean, he's probably one of the less vulgar stand-up comedians we've had come down the pike in quite a long time. Hardly ever goes down the road of being vulgar and, and using profanity. Yeah, true. But, but he says, um, there, there's a bit he does in a stand-up routine when he says, the arrogance of a pilot. And he says the pilot comes on the um, the loudspeaker and he says we're going at thirty two thousand feet and we're going to turn at about seven degrees and we're going to get up to thirty five thousand then at about nine and a half degrees and then it you know and uh, he says hey just end up where it says on the bottom of the ticket I mean just fly the plane dude I, I don't need to know what you're doing I don't know what you're doing anyway I mean you could explain it from now until we get where we go I don't understand anything you're telling me just end up where it says on the ticket one takeoff one landing that's what I'm after dude. Well, I kind of feel that way about the presidency. I don't know that I care much about what, how you get to those decisions as long as you get to sound decisions. Now, if I'm looking for spiritual guidance, I'm in church, you know, a, um, a small group where we kind of lean on one another and, and help one another and guide one another and support one another. Yeah, I mean, faith is a big part of that world. But I've never, ever, ever thought it was important for a president of the United States to have uh, some sort of spiritual compass. I think he's got to have a moral compass. And I believe the majority of people who have the moral compass come from a place of faith. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think we could just be completely and totally removed from spirituality and have, you know, a sound moral compass. So I want my president to understand morality and ethic and virtue. I don't much care where he gets that from. I mean, I really and truly don't. I just want him to run the joint. Fly the plane, dude. I mean, run the country, run it effectively, make good decisions. Don't get us involved in wars we shouldn't be in. Don't spend money we don't have. Deal with Congress on things that need to be done for the American people or in the American people's best best interest. Uh, yeah, but do you believe in God or not? Do you believe Jesus, Son of God or not? Uh, do you have a Judeo-Christian worldview or not? That's just not ever been that important to me. Um, I think the people that make the best decisions do have 
somewhat of a um, kind of a moral compass based on a supernatural belief that the world doesn't exist for them, but rather because uh, anyway, that gets into creation. And we had a big debate on that, on that last week. Let's go to the phone. William and McCall. Good morning. You're on. How you doing, Ken? Hey, William. Oh, uh, Dave. Morning. How y'all doing? We're good. Um, you know, I'm like Ken. The religious part don't affect my way of voting. What affects my way of voting is the person intellectual, smart enough to run a government. You got small towns in this state that elect people for mayor and city council that don't know nothing. But they my friend. They go to church with me. I'm going to elect them. And that's that, that ain't the way it should be. You should be looking at how smart are they. What can they do for your community? What can they do for your town? Not just because they go to church with you or they was a high school buddy. I don't make them smart enough to run government. And that's what hurts a lot of these small towns, basing it on church, religion, and friendship and stuff like that, and not looking at the intellectual brain that this man has or woman has to run a town or a government. Thank you, William. Appreciate that. I've often thought, I'll let you on a secret. I've often thought one of the problems in America with our government is we got too many dumb Christians. <laughs> I mean, I have. I've often thought that. I mean, maybe I was one. I don't know. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm not real smart. Maybe I had no business being in government. But I've always thought that some of the issues we face with our government is we've got people who put a check in that box emphatically. I mean, emphatically. They will tell you every time they get a chance how important God is to them. But they have no idea what, what to do about the policies and the politics and how to build roads and bridges and how to, you know, adhere to the Constitution and how to convince, you know, Dave and Josh that my ideas are better than your ideas. But they love the Lord. I mean, they love God. They taught Sunday school for 33 years. I mean, they, they, they volunteered at RA camp, Rev, eight of the last 12 years. They, they got six or seven awards. And I think they've even got a cottage up there named after them. I mean, I just think, I mean, that that's just, wow. I mean, that's just very superficial to me. Um, and I, I just, I've never, ever, I just believe this. And, and I'll lay it out. I think the smarter, more competent, more dedicated, more persevering, uh, I didn't say educated, because I don't, I don't know that that is as important as some of these other traits and characteristics I'm talking about. I'll give an example of why I think education's overrated. I went back and looked over the weekend because I made an accusation last week, and I've got the data here. Um, in senior level staffers in the Bush, excuse me, in the in the Biden administration, ninety of two hundred went to Ivy League schools. Ninety of two hundred, roughly one half of all senior level staffers in the Biden administration went to one conference of what 11 schools the ivy league um georgetown had 14 johns hopkins nine george washington nine oxford had 10 so i don't put a lot of faith or stock in the elite educations in america and the reason i've done this is i mean the president of penn resigned the board chair resigned uh, the president of harvard i think is going to resign if they haven't already resigned i mean i didn't check over the weekend but we've got these 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 unbelievably elite universities, prestigious degrees. I mean, if you've got a degree from a law degree from Harvard or a business degree from what the Kennedy School of Business, 
at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Brown. Brown's the least popular. I mean, if you if you if you're if you're a graduate of Brown, you're low man on the Ivy League totem pole. Um, and we were right about Stanford. Not anywhere near as many Stanford graduates as you would expect. But um, but I just want I want smart, competent, fearless people leading our government. I mean, you know, there's an old saying: the future belongs to the bold. Isn't that kind of what attracts us to Trump? I mean, no, no, nobody believes he's afraid. I mean, you can say he's arrogant and narcissistic, and I mean, there are a lot of um, ways to describe the personality that is Donald Trump. But I don't know anybody that says he's afraid. I mean, he, he, he kind of takes the bull by the horn. Some would argue too much, uh, too many times, at too, at, at too big of an expense, or, or he takes too many risks. That would probably be a fair criticism to levy against Trump, pump the gas when he probably should have once or twice in his life pumped the brakes. But I've just, I, I've just always been fascinated with how voters are willing to elect people who show no redeeming quality at being able to lead other than they love God and they're good people. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a place for people that, that are good and decent, moral and ethical and love the Lord. I mean, I, I believe that. But, but, and if you combine that, I mean, if you combine good, ethical, moral and virtuous, love the Lord with smart, competent, diligent, hardworking, dedicated, persevering, fearless. I mean, you've got a real good government. But I think a lot of the problem in government today, we talk about corruption reform. You know, the problem with government today is so corrupt. Ah, okay. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. But I think the biggest thing government lacks today is competency. Smart people that have done things that required them to be educated, smart, diligent, prepared, well-rounded, balanced, worldly, knowledgeable, savvy, street smart. I mean, those are the people we need in our government. And, and right now, I'll ask you a question, Reb. So in the Biden administration, roughly one half of all the senior staffers went to one prestigious academic um, conference and uh, league. I mean, that would be a better conference. I sound like an SEC guy now. Everything's <laughs> right. conference down here, you know, the big bad SEC. But, um, but do you believe those are smart people? competent people, diligent people, persevering people. I mean, obviously they're educated. I mean, they're more educated than 99% right. of America. And they typically have a certain type of worldview. Sure. I mean, where does and, that and worldview? View of government. Well, I mean, and that's kind of where I was headed. You know, um, is it a, is it a worldview centered on being good and ethical and moral and diligent? And no, but, but no. The, I just, I believe once again, I and, believe and it's not representative of America in general. Well, I mean, but didn't Tucker didn't Tucker say he's for a ruling class? He did say that. I mean, Tucker said I don't have a problem with the ruling class. In fact, I probably favor a ruling class. It's just that this ruling class sucks. They're not competent. They're not very smart. They're not well prepared. They're not diligent. They aren't honest. They aren't. Um, the, the characteristics and traits you need in leadership. They just aren't that. And their ideas for government seem to be in opposition to some of the constitutional uh, ideas that we try to live by. So, so are we arguing, I mean, we're kind of making it up as that we, we go, but it's by. Monday. Are we arguing that on one extreme we've got, I mean, I'm not sure he's smart, knows what to do, but he loves the Lord. And on the other extreme, it's like, well, I don't know if he knows what he's doing or not, but he graduated from Princeton. She graduated from Yale. I, I just think we're looking for the wrong things in leaders. I, I really do. He loves the Lord, and he's humble and meek and mild. 
She went to Princeton or Stanford or Harvard or Yale. Yeah, but I mean, we, find competent. We need, we don't, I mean, obviously we need culture. I mean, we need corruption to be rooted out of government. But, but while we're rooting corruption out of government, let's instill a high degree of competency. Competency reform is what we desperately need in our federal government. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Apologize for that moment of silence. We weren't honoring anybody or paying our respects to anyone. We had the computer freeze up. Right, Josh? That's right. Now, we're having glitches here, snafus all over all over the place. Do we have a call? Uh, we do. Can we take a call? Yeah, we'll take okay. a call. I'll go look at that computer in there. Uh, Baron in Hartsville. Hi, Baron. Hey, good morning, y'all. I think my reaction to the idea of faith is a prerequisite, right? Or if you, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian it, as well. And my answer to that is, you know, in what's the point of government, right? In Judeo-Christian thought, in the history of Western civilization, we come to this principle that man is a fallen creature, right? And that man can't be trusted fundamentally with power over his fellow man because he'll use it for his fellow man's detriment and his advantage, and the point, how we got to why we need a constitution, not personal rule from an expert or from a king or from, or from you know, a bureaucracy, why we need rules is the system corrects for itself. Madison and Hamilton talk about this in the Federalist quite a lot, that, that, that it's not, you know, we're not, we don't live off of the benefit of someone else's, some human's goodwill we live off the system which corrects for that bad by blending powers and spreading it out and making it so that one person can't do too much damage um can you get to that by not and not be a christian probably yeah plenty have right i mean in 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 the history of the great philosophical fathers that comes out of greek and roman civilization you can get there in non-western thought too or but it's harder um, so I guess that's the, the check for me, right? Like, do you understand the fundamental difference between that man is a fallen, broken creature and cannot be trusted with power over his fellow man? The interesting thing is that's the disagreement between a progressive and a conservative, right? Like a progressive says that the government is not fast enough, function enough, help enough, and that we need more experts and personal rule and direct action, whereas the conservative says – whoa, 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 I know how this ends, and, it, and you end up good and I end up bad, right? And I think, so my, you know, that's the end of that. The, the other, the final piece I'll leave you is uh, answer to your question earlier. Um, you said something months ago, Ken, that we are a terribly governed country. And my answer is yes, I would vote for someone who was boring and quiet and you didn't know who the heck they were if they would competently run the government. You know, the president's most important job is probably the thousands of people he appoints that sit there day in and day out and function the government well. But we don't have that. That's not what we vote for, and that's a problem. Thank you, Barrett. Appreciate that. A lot to chew on there. And, and I'll add to that. Um, we were talking a second ago about 90 of the 200 um, senior-level staffers in the White House went to Ivy League institutions. I think we make assumptions. Thank you, Baron. Appreciate the call. I think we make assumptions and we assume society has accepted that as a rigid enough test to tell whether someone is capable capable of doing X, Y, or Z. And we blindly allowed 
some of the – and I'm picking on elite universities because that's an easy target, and, and especially right now with all the anti-Semitism that seems to be rearing its head in some of these elite universities. And I'm not talking about Coastal, Francis Marion, Carolina, Clemson. I'm talking about – I mean, 90 of the 200 senior-level staffers didn't go to the SEC, didn't go to the ACC, didn't go to the Big 12, didn't go to the Big 10. Um, I mean, they, these are Ivy League institutions that are notorious – notoriously famous for, you know, providing the government with the degree of expertise it needs, and they're just not very capable. They're not very good at it. Um, I mean, if the Ivy League institution were graduated the best and brightest, the government would be more effectively um, run and handled to the point of self-government. And and, and where do we get the inspiration to be? um, It's uncommon, and it's uncharacteristic of human beings to give up personal liberties for the greater good. I mean, that's what Thomas Hobbes wrote about, or Thomas Hobbes wrote about in Leviathan. And it was about the social contract. Or con- contract. Um, Hobbes believed, and we got these competing, you got Locke and Hobbes. And Locke was kind of a um, an inspiration to Jefferson, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and alienable rights. Um, Hobbes would have been the guy that said, you know, people should give up some of their personal liberties for the greater good, protection, and be ruled by some, I don't know, powerful, sovereign, almighty, somewhere, somehow. But if we don't accept Hobbes, I mean, I am a, I don't want to say I'm a disciple of Locke. That sounds weird. But 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 Jefferson probably has, has had more impact on my political beliefs than anybody. And Locke had a tremendous impact on on Jefferson, therefore, I guess, in the weirdest way imaginable, I am kind of a lot um, disciple. <laughs> so where does the altruism come if not a spiritual center? I mean, wh- where does, I mean, if, if I believe in self-government and I trust man, I trust Josh, I mean, I'm electing Josh to the Congress and represent my interests. What about Josh convinces me that he will go there and not do his own bidding, but rather look after my best interest? I mean, do, do I need, see, I think that's where I get a little bit confused. So if, if I'm a Christian and I know the way I live my, I know when I do wrong, I'm convicted by what? The nightly news? No, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm convicted by this, this something I've accepted as part of my life, part of my makeup, part of my existence. And when I do wrong, I'm convicted. It's, it's easy for me to understand. Now, I can't explain it to Rev or Josh, but, but I know how I feel. When I knowingly and willingly do wrong, and there's that, that that supernatural conviction called the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that, where do you get that guidance from? What, what, what puts those uh, guardrails in place? Um, I, I, see, we're drifting off into the, um, the, the psychoanalysis that is really kind of sort of psychobabble. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is a great conversation here. It's a little bit of uh, it's way over my head, but uh, I think uh, you're, the basic idea is that not everyone's the same. I do not want a surgeon that has uncontrollable tremors operating on me because that is just asking for trouble. It's the same thing as I'm I'm required to uh, wear eyeglasses when I drive. 
Uh, there's a reason for that. I can't see clearly in the distance without correcting the stigmatism and uh, my nearsightedness. That's uh, that's just a fact. And uh, you want you want your uh, airline pilots to have some basic understanding of uh, the Bernoulli effect and uh, how airplanes fly and and land safely. That's that's there's there's just basic differences. And by that token, I would trust, and I, I think I would trust the the man that drives the garbage truck that picks up the garbage more than some of the people that have been put in authoritative positions in Washington these days. And I don't, I don't know their education, but no matter how much uh, er, erudition or knowledge you have of uh, literature is not going to prepare you to operate a, the nuclear power plant over in Hartsville. That's just all there is to it. You want a guy over there that's confident, understands the heat and pressure and uh, when to put the rods in, when to take the rods out. It's just that simple, uh, no matter uh, what his religious beliefs are. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. So let's build the perfect president. You ready? What age, Josh? Uh, 40, 45. Rev? I'm going to say 55. Okay. I'm closer to Rev than I am to you. But Josh is a young buck. He yeah. thinks we're old guys. Um, now, here's what I'll say. A little when, more experience. When, when, does the, <laughs> when does the male brain fully develop? I mean, there's some studies out there that say. <laughs> some say it never does. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that's, <laughs> I would say that. I mean, obviously, we're, we're dumb beyond belief. If women only knew how stupid we were, that, that's the, I mean, they run the world now, but they would really run the world if they knew how naturally stupid we really are, how gullible and easily misled uh, we can be. But but let's go to this. I I don't believe that man gets naturally more intelligent. I mean, I don't think my brain got bigger and stronger and better as I got older. The one advantage the 55-year-old has, and Rev knows where I'm headed, he has seen more sunsets and sunrises. I mean that that's not a that's not a natural intelligence. That's a gained wisdom over the years. I have gotten to a point in my life where younger people come to me, and I love this. I mean, I really, I genuinely enjoy this because I remember a handful of people in my life when I was younger, and and without certainty, you know, should I ying or yang? Should I turn or do you know? I would go to these people. They'd say, well, let's, "Here's what I'd probably do if I were you." And I've gotten to a point in my life now that several younger people come to me and, hey, you got a minute? Yeah, what's up? Here's what I got going on, and I'm not sure if I'm thinking through this the right way or not. Well, I mean, they're not asking me because they believe I'm smarter now than I was 25 years ago. Same brain, right? I mean, I just, I've seen a lot more. I've experienced a lot more failure. I've had a few more successes. I've raised kids. I've been humbled. I, you know, I thought I knew everything. Now I know I didn't. I've learned a lot, but, but natural intelligence. I mean, I'm no intellectually, I got no more horsepower now than I had when I was what, 30 years old. I mean, I, I don't believe the brain fully develops. I'll give you an example. We talked about addiction. There's a lot of scientific research out there, Rev, that shows if you send a 19 or 20 year old who was addicted to opiates to a rehab center 
they're far less likely to be rehabilitated than if they were 26 or 7 or 8. I mean, you know, the, the, the brain is still mush. I mean, it really and truly is at, at 17, 18, 19. I'm not saying don't do it and don't try it. Obviously, you know, do what you got to do. But um, but I think in building the perfect presidential or, or the perfect president, I'm not going to be a presidential candidate. The, fir- the perfect presidential candidate is, is somebody who looks good in a suit, has their hair combed just right, and goes to the gym three or four days a week and can speak in sound bites. I mean, that's the perfect presidential candidate, but I'm talking about the perfect president, someone who can do the job. And I think the age, Josh, I do believe that 55 is probably a little bit better. You've raised a fire. You've, you've probably been married. You've raised some kids. You've, you've been humbled. You've seen, you know, more of the world around you happen to take place and whatnot. Um, and it's not that you're any more intelligent. You're just a little more knowledgeable, a little more uh, wisdom. You, you, you've, you've, you've watched the world. You've, you've experienced certain things in certain ways. It's not about having a degree from Harvard. It's not about having a, um, you know, a perfect score on the SAT. I mean, I just, I think we put too much emphasis on that. And I'm not begrudging uh, Ivy League institutions. I think they've revealed themselves recently. I mean, I really think that the Ivy League has had a, a horrible, horrible week. Well, you're right. And, and I'm glad we We're did this about it. six months ago. I'm glad we began or, or began talking about higher education in different sorts of ways. Because I think it's unfair to Carolina Clemson, uh, Francis Marion, Coastal, Coker. You know, I'm trying to think of some of these other schools in our state and area. Um, James Carville, you can't say it verbatim because Carville got real colorful. But he said when he got in politics, some of the um, some of the Clinton advisors that graduated from the Ivy League schools or Georgetown or George Washington or Johns Hopkins or Oxford, uh, mind you, they looked at Carville like, you went to LSU? You went to LSU down south, that football factory. I mean, that that's where you went, and you expect us to listen to you. What does the L stand for? Yeah, LSU, yeah, Louisiana. Ooh. I mean, that that's uh wow. Okay, um, and you expect us to follow your lead and your tact and your strategy. Well, um, you know, he quick he quickly proved himself as being very competent mm-hmm. at getting people elected to public service or to public office. But Carville really, really, it grates him. But it really grates him as a Southern man who graduated from LSU and and the way some of those Ivy Leaguers look down there. Well, they've incriminated themselves. I mean, to me, they self-indicted this week. Um, The, the, I want to go back. I want to read it verbatim. Josh, let's take a break. I want to come back in a couple of minutes. I I don't want to misspeak. I want to read what the president of Penn said in the congressional hearing. And it is as bizarre as you could imagine but she is, or was, not now, she was the president of one of the most prestigious universities the country has and is one of the schools that supplies about half of all senior-level staffers in the Biden White House. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Last week, the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn uh, appeared before a congressional committee basically arguing that students had a right to yell fire in a crowded theater. I mean, in essence, that's what they're arguing. The president of um, Penn, I think her name was Liz McGill, if I'm not mistaken, um, basically said that um, if you call for genocide against Jews, 
that's not violating the university's policies of bullying and harassment, you've got to actually, you got to, you got to commit genocide. Now, now, Bill Ackman, I don't know if you saw this or not, the hedge fund guy who's, uh, he thinks a lot of himself and seems to be really hung up on himself. Um, he's a Harvard well, alum, he, right? He's a Harvard alum, but, but he wrote a letter to Harvard and Penn, and then he said, um, MIT, just do the right thing, and I won't write a letter. I mean, I don't know if he thinks he's the reason that these universities have um, gotten rid of their, or their presidents, but it's obvious. I mean, I, I think we saw kind of a, a revealing of the, the wizards behind the curtain, so to speak, who are really convincing America's youth that go to these universities and end up, you know, working in these prominent positions within our government and um, the, 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 the liberal bias of elite academia. I said elite academia. I mean, I think there's a liberal bias in all of academia. I think there's an unbelievable liberal well, bias. When it goes on in full elite. display like this, I mean, finally. Well, I mean, Reb, she basically, uh, Elise Stavonic from New York, could not get the lady to say that that was a violation of the harassment bullying policies. In other words, they can yell, fire to crowd a theater. I mean, you, you can't. That, that's bizarre to me that these presidents didn't believe that there was going to be somebody recording this. And I mean, you know, their, their worlds of uh, the Harvard president, I think is already, I think she got recommissioned or reassigned. Uh, I think McGill got reassigned at, at UPN. I don't know what's happened at MIT yet. Um, imagine that. I don't know what's going on in MIT. Um, <laughs> I don't wake up every morning checking the checking my um my inbox to make sure somebody from MIT are you didn't on the send me. List? I'm not on their inbox list at um at the Massachusetts Institute of um of Technology. But anyway, um, they wouldn't say in this public hearing that a call for genocide was a violation of the policies unless somebody acted upon it. And that's when Stavonic said, "So, so I mean." The only reason, the only way that these kids would get in trouble with your bullying and harassment policies if they committed an act of genocide? That, that, that by definition, I mean, by, by, by subtraction, by, not by, by default, that was the only, the only answer they could give, and it was bizarre to me, but it was, it was the most obvious explanation of why the country has drifted so far to the left if these elite universities have such enormous influence on our government, on our media, there is not a media newsroom in America today. Uh, and I'm talking about in any form or any fashion. I'm talking about print media. Uh, I'm talking about digital media, uh, traditional media, television, radio, um, newspaper. There's not a single media outlet in America that is not heavily influenced by somebody who went to an Ivy League institution's and, and these are what these people are told. It's not critical thinking any longer. It's not debate and dialogue. It's not open discussion. It's not, I mean, it, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a monolith and it's unbelievably and irresponsibly liberal to the point of someone calling for genocide against Jews is not violating the policies until they act upon. So you can yell fire in a crowd of theater, but until you light the fire, you're not guilty of anything. Take a break. Back in a few. We can circle all the way back around and argue everything wrong with the world. 
I mean, if you're a conservative, you really believe that the odds are so significantly stacked against you, your candidate, your worldview. We talked a lot about academia and the media and these elite universities that send these, um, these you know, senior level staffers and workers to Washington. Um, Ninety of a, about 198, roughly 200, um, came from the Ivy League. You add that, Georgetown 14, Johns Hopkins 9, George Washington 9, Oxford um, 10. There's a an overwhelming sense of elitism in some of these um, government agencies. Are they smart? I don't know. Or are they educated? Yes, highly educated, unbelievably educated, expensively <laughs> educated, um, elitist education. But But you take all of that in. And you think about all the negativity and all the, you know, wow, it's not fair. Look at, whoa, whoa, pitiful me. And then you go to real clear politics. And you look at the RCP average. And you see Trump at 46.6 and Biden at 44.4. You look at the probability ads. Trump's at 36%. Biden's at 30%. Trump is the prohibitive favorite to win in 2024, now anything can happen. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You look at the right track, wrong track number. 26% of Americans believe we're on uh, the right track. So so everything, you listen to President Romney and Vice President Ryan <laughs> o- over the weekend explaining what needs to happen to the Republican Party because <laughs> they Romney? were so successful. I mean, Vice they, President what I mean, that, Ryan? That, that they were unbelievably successful at uh-huh. vote-getting. Um, so you take all of that. And you get frustrated, you get hot and bothered, you get aggravated. I mean, look at the, you know, I watched uh, some of the Sunday morning shows yesterday and you've got Romney on this one. You got Ryan on that one. Liz Cheney and her um, unwavering support of the Constitution. I mean, she's such a constitutionalist, Liz, Liz Cheney is. And you still look at the polling and it shows that's, I mean, that to me, that's encouraging. I mean, every element imaginable is stacked against Trump. I mean, everything they've thrown at him already, and there's more. I mean, rest assured, there will be a lot more efforts to diminish his chances of being successful. Um, Hillary Rodham Clinton had a fundraiser at a house with a name. I'm always skeptical of people who name their homes, but she had a fundraiser at a home with a name. She was the headliner. Um, they raised over a million dollars for uh, Joe Biden. So it's, um, I mean, every force imaginable outside of the, the true believe in America firster is going to be against Donald Trump, and it doesn't seem to be working. Now, will it? I don't know. Um, the, the latest version is convincing the Republican primary voter that the, the smart thing to do is elect Nikki Haley because she will be more attractive to independents. She'll win in some of these swing states. It'll be more hotly contested. But right now, the Republican voter says, thank you, but no thank you. And the American voter to some degree, say, I'm not buying what you've been selling. And that's encouraging to me. You know, they've gone down this, the dictator role. I mean, that's been sort of the, seems like the, the common, the cathedral talking points, if you will, uh, that, you know, Trump wants to be a dictator. And then typically they probably li- does. Well, he said he does on the first day, right? That's what he said. <laughs> they close the border. He and probably does. Yeah. Be, you don't think Biden wants to be a dictator? <laughs> well, and that's the point when, when they talk about, here's what Trump's going to do. And they give the, the list of what he's going to do. It's very similar to what they're doing now to Trump. Here's the interesting part in social media. Somebody like, let me think of a random, John Harwood. 
I mean, on his bio, he says, you know, journalist and one of the Pulitzer Prize and all these good things. And then he says, he, he, he reposts something that somebody said negative toward Trump. And you read the comments. And on Harwood's page, nobody's with him. I mean, everybody says, you're a shield, dude. You're a has-been, dude. I mean, the, the, um, the logic of the past. And, and maybe it's going to be hard for some of these folks to give up on the logic of the past. Here's what I'll say. There may have been a day that when Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney showed up on the Sunday morning circuit to move the meter, there may have been a day. I mean, it may have been not too far long ago when Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney, both prominent Republicans, the daughter of a vice president, a former presidential candidate, both have held offices and have reputations of their own. I mean, when you march them out, and that's following Paul Ryan going on CNBC to talk about some of the uh, some of the Wall Street crowd supporting Nikki Haley, and Nikki's a far more electable Republican because she is popular with independents, and it doesn't move the meter. It just does not move the meter, and and it leads me to believe that the the logic of the past has nothing to do with the future, nothing at all. In fact, in the craziest way imaginable. The more Mitt Romney disparages Donald Trump, the more likely it is he wins the presidency. The more Chris Christie has airtime. I mean, you got to give Christie credit. I've never seen a candidate poll at 5% and get as much airtime as he does. I've never seen a member of Congress lose her home state by 40 points. And people in that party care what she has to say. But there is no, I mean, they don't know what else to do other than put him in jail. And ultimately, that's what they will try to do. They will try to incarcerate Donald Trump to a point. Um, I mean, I guess the the last hand they'll try to play is cut him a deal. I mean, if you'll, if you'll remove yourself from consideration as president, we won't put you in prison. I mean, that, that may be where we end up. But, but I just think the logic of the past is, is just not applying in today's political reality. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, good morning, hey, man. When I think of uh, transgender abortion, I think you talked about that. Elite universities, this is kind of sound weird. Think about industries. And these are all industries that would love to be subsidized by the government. And they're, they're doing a good job of it. So I give them credit on that. So I always think of it as a business. Can I go back to that debate the other night? I don't know. How did, did, did you watch that debate? I watched, uh, it. I watched a good bit. It? I watched a good bit. Now, here's the thing of it. How did you watch it? It was on News Nation, and I think there's a channel called CW. And I took it back to where the roots are, and that all comes from WGN. And you used to watch that back in the day. That was the Cubs used to play. That was Harry Carey and Steve Stone. Uh, Wrigley Field. I mean, that was unbelievable. I, Thought about this, man. Old Andre Dawson back in those days, I think he made like seven hundred thousand. What did the guy get over the weekend? Seventy million dollars to play baseball. And you have to think about where does the money go? What's changed about life that a guy back in the day got paid seven hundred thousand? Now he's getting paid seventy million dollars, but. Anyway, just to make some comments about that debate, you know, Chris Christie, this this guy, he said he's got a book deal. He, God, go on with his book. He's got a book deal. He mentioned he's going to have some kind of book deal. 
And then when I watch DeSantis, I think about Disney World, and in there, Dave, you've been there. Isn't there a Hall of Presidents? Something like that. Yeah, the there Hall is, of Presidents. Yeah. It's the Magic Kingdom. The Magic Kingdom. So what? Well, you push a button, Abe Lincoln comes on and says, uh, what is it, four score and seven years ago. That's DeSantis. That's him. He's animatronics or whatever. You push a button on these politicians, they come up with some kind of soundbite. And Nikki Haley, she I'll give her credit in a way. She was sort of uh, taunting these guys. It's, yeah, you wish you had the Koch brothers' money. You wish you had Jamie Diamond money. So that that all this, but here's one thing I'll assure you guys that she, if she was the front runner, do you not think that they'll turn on her like Dracula after dark? Those things will come out. They're setting her up. That's sad, uh, and. and you know, it, it it frustrates me to see her just go down this path. But Trump, he's taking the bullets. He's taking all this. But uh, and, and we've got, I will say this, the worst president ever is this Joe Biden. And he's shown us the, 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 the sorriness of our last 50 years in government, but he personifies it. But anyway, I'll leave you at that. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the, the logic of yesterday, the logic of the past, there, there was a debate we had early in the Trump run in 16. Um, it, was, it was obvious he was about to secure the nomination of the Republican Party, and we had a debate over the air with several callers, and, and some were arguing that Trump is immune from political reality. The way he conducted his campaign, the way he went about his business, I mean, it broke every norm, and no rules would ever apply. And others said, nah, I mean, you can can break the mold. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can set a new normal and a new standard, and you can get away with saying she's bleeding out of her eyes or whatever. You know, I mean, I remember when he, I'm like, wow, you can't say that. I mean, you just cannot say that and get away with it. Well, he said it, and his poll numbers went up three or four. Uh, percentage points. I'm not defending, condoning. I'm just, or legitimizing. I'm just saying that's kind of where we will. Some who have got so much invested in the logic of yesterday, they, they, they have no choice. I mean, it, it'd be a little bit like me all of a sudden waking up when, when I put the headset down after the show today, say, Rev, you know what? I mean, the Gamecocks had a lot of official visitors this weekend. I didn't see a single welcome home. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm becoming a Clemson fan. I mean, I can't do that. I mean, there's no way I could ever do that. I mean, I could, I mean, I've had an evolution. I said last week, and I'll say it again. I don't hate Clemson. I mean, there was a day in my life I hated Clemson. I don't hate Clemson anymore. I don't have that much emotional energy to invest in pulling for one team and hating another. But when you don't have a mortgage, you don't have a car payment, you don't have a complicated life and existence, you got a lot of emotional energy to invest in something. Hey, let's, let's be honest, it's meaningless as college football's fun, but it's still the fun in games. A department, but I couldn't all of a sudden decide after the show today that I'm going to just give up on everything that I've got invested for the last 50, 60 years of my life and invest in this new, more shiny, more successful, you know, I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, out with the old, in with, in with the new. So, so you've got the lifer. I mean, you've got the Chris Christie and everybody associated with the campaign. Liz Cheney. I mean, what is Liz Cheney going to do? If she's going to remain relevant, I mean, does Cheney say, "Hey, everything that I believed in, everything that I invested in, 
uh, all the water I carried uh, for my dad and all these, uh, you know, Halliburton and all these military. And, I mean, no, none of that matters anymore. No. I, and, and the question that I keep asking myself is, how aware are they of this new normal and how blinded are they of the former? And I can't answer that question. I don't have any idea what the answer to that question is, but they've got to be, I mean, there's got to be some laying in the bed at night looking at the ceiling. I mean, when Liz Cheney laid in the bed at night, looked at the ceiling the day after she got whooped in Wyoming as she did, I mean, did she say, wow, I mean, I really underestimated how out of, out of touch I am with today's Republican primary um, voter, or did she begin strategizing on, okay, I'm out of touch, but I'm still right. I mean, the loyalties, the, uh, the, the associations, the, the way we conducted ourselves in politics before Trump got here. I, I just think there's this great and fundamental debate going on in America today. I don't know the answer. I, I love these people who sound so sure of themselves when they say, well, I mean, it's obvious what's happening here. No. The only thing obvious to me is America first is the persuasion. I don't want to call it an ideology, but America first is the persuasion of choice in the Republican Party today. By what percentage? I stick to my guns. I think it's two of three. I really believe that two of three Republican voters today, now I'm including the Trump voter. I mean, I, I'm kind of being a bit hypocritical here. What have I said? The Trump voter is not really a Republican voter, but when Trump's in the Republican primary, they are every bit a Republican primary voter as anybody else is. And and I think when w one of the interesting points of Nikki declaring herself kind of the establishment candidate, we'll find out what that ceiling is. I mean, we'll eventually, probably in New Hampshire, I mean, if DeSantis doesn't win Iowa, he's done. And he's not. Trump's going to win Iowa. I mean, he won the presidency in 16 and lost Iowa. He's going to win Iowa. DeSantis will probably finish a respectable second, but he can't go to New Hampshire without winning Iowa. So we get to New Hampshire, which is probably less friendly to Trump than some of the other states. And um, the, 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 the question that I guess Nikki will have to ask herself is, does she risk coming to South Carolina and losing by 20 or 30 points? Rev asked a question this morning. Does she diminish her chances moving forward by coming to her home state and getting beat by 20 or 30 points? I think she's already sealed her fate. Now, now what is in it for Nikki? I don't have any idea. I don't know what promises have been made to her on the other side. But the one thing we're all, all of us who consider ourselves somewhat student of politics, we're all going to gain a valuable lesson. What is the percentage of establishment Republicans? Over there, they, they, they try to convince you for what? Uh, going on eight years that this is a fad, a little bit like transgenderism. Just be patient. Eventually, dudes will be dudes and girls will be girls. And, you know, we'll get back to neoconservatism and interventionism and globalism and all. I just don't, I don't buy that. Um, and we're going to get a chance, I think, um, to see how powerful America First is in the Republican Party and how limited the former model, the logic of yesterday. But, but, but once again, if you have invested every – I can't give up the Gamecocks today. I just can't. I mean, as frustrated, as bothered, as aggravated, as angry as I get, I'm stuck with them, they're stuck with me. 
And I think if you're Liz Cheney, you, you got no choice. If you're Mitt Romney, you got no choice. If you're Paul Ryan, you got no choice. The question I have is, do you still think you do? I mean, do you still believe that, that if Trump implodes, there's going to be some rejuvenation of, um, of you know, your your ideologies, your policies? And you your believe policies? The, the, the GOP voters have moved totally on from all that? I, I have no doubt. Now, now, guess what? I've been wrong in my life. I've been wrong a handful of times. In and I hope, earth, you're, I hope you're in right. My earthly, yeah, I think the GOP voter have permanently moved past the, the, the what I'll call the neoconservative era in Republican politics. Now, now, once again, can America first be the permanent replacement? Well, nothing's permanent. Can it be the sustainable, generational replacement to neoconservatism? I'll give you my most technical and scientific answer. You ready? Oh, no. Oh, no. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've got antique equipment, we think. Um, Rev, we got some Bailey wire and some duct tape and a 916th wrench, adjustable wrench, and some WD-40. We'll get everything back running here sooner sooner yeah. than later. Um, the trouble is not in your set. Right, Josh? That's right. Am I right? That's right. Josh looks at Rev. Rev look, no, Josh looks at Rev. Rev looks at Josh. Nobody looks at me when the equipment goes south. Nobody looks at me because you know, guy, you guys know that. <laughs> I have very little understanding yeah, for some of reason, what's happening and what's not. The computer, uh, it's always computers, uh, that's just playing along, and then it just has stopped. And so it freezes. Got to go look at that. It freezes up. That's what we say in the country. Hey, that computer freezes up. That's, that's uh, kind of what happens. Yes, and it doesn't allow us to um, do our normal routine of um, going into a break or coming out of a break. Anyway, we'll figure it out sooner than later. We think um, Fox News Radio's Jeff Manaslo will be with us in just a bit to talk about Hyundai selling cars on Amazon. Is it just me, or has this Christmas season been far less crowded out and about? I mean, I, I just don't notice, and and I try to pay attention, and, okay, I'm at this place. I'm at that place. I expected there to be more people I, I here. I thought that I expected- the other day when I went, and, and you typically see some of the parking lots at the retail establishments that are parked out on grass, for example. All the spots are taken, and they're all, and I haven't seen that this year. And that's and you, concerning me for, for a lot well, of I mean, reasons. Well, I mean, I would imagine that's e-commerce. I mean, I, you know, or, or maybe a slowing economy. I don't have any idea. Um, we know that a lot of you are not going to the brick-and-mortar store to have that uh, in-person shopping experience, but rather um, a, a, I guess, a consumer of goods sold on, on Amazon. I never imagined, I don't know why, but I never imagined that you would buy a car on Amazon, but that's their plan. Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso is in Chicago. So Amazon is to start selling cars in 2024, Jeff, starting with Hyundai. What are the particulars? Yeah, so it's getting named to the lucrative and highly competitive online auto marketplace with plans to allow dealers to sell these new vehicles on its platform next year, as you mentioned, starting with Hyundai. Uh, where customers can, you know, search model, trim, color, other features, even pickup slash delivery options, payment and financing options. Um, As part of the partnership deal, Hyundai will begin incorporating uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, for data, storage, analytics, artificial intelligence. Alexa's voice will be coming out of, uh, you're going to hear that in, in Hyundai vehicles starting in 2025. 
Um, it's interesting because most automakers cannot sell new cars directly to consumers online. We've seen, you know, Carvana. We've seen, uh, you know, CarMax, Cars.com selling a lot of used cars. Uh, but for new cars, it requires dealerships to participate. So I, we don't have the particulars in terms of how it's all going to work. Um, but for dealers to participate, obviously, they're going to want to make profit. And, and so I don't know how that plays out. I don't know how, you know, we, 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 we haven't been told yet exactly how it's going to work, you know, who's going to get the sale, things like that, because, you know, there's a lot of money involved. But um, we know that Tesla has gotten around that, that requirement, uh, you, you know, because it doesn't have any franchise dealerships at all. And so it, it exclusively sells its vehicles, its new vehicles online. Uh, and we'll see if other automakers jump on board. But, you know, the days of kicking the tires and sitting down and, and, and sitting at a table and, and filling out, you know, uh, an hour's worth of paperwork and things like that, it, it may be going to the wayside soon. I, I, I'm not sure, but uh, it seems to be where we're headed. Jeff, is there any information out there that leads you or us to believe that this is the beginning of Amazon or, or Hyundai using Amazon to sell, to sell directly to the end user instead of, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think we'll eventually bypass the dealership and Amazon will be the conduit between Hyundai auto manufacturing and the consumer? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, and, and I think time's going to tell, but uh, again, right now, you know, because of franchise agreements, you know, you, you, you need dealerships to participate. So I don't think you're going to be able to cut out the dealership uh, entirely, at least not right now. It's not in the rules. Um, it's just making it easier or it's giving consumers another option to easily just go online and hit the Amazon app. And at least for right now, Hyundai, if you're looking for a Hyundai, you know, starting next year, you'll be able to do it uh, in, in terms of you know, the, the car buying process. And, you know, where this goes, no one knows, but you know, we're increasingly buying things online without seeing them. You know, we buy produce without squeezing the grapes. We, 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 we buy lots of things uh, online without actually, you know, physically touching uh, uh, or seeing these, these products. And, and you know, and, and, and that, uh, that means cars now, too. Well explained. Jeff, thank you for your time, sir. You bet. Um, you you got to believe, though. I mean, I, I understand franchise agreements and investments made in brick and mortar, but, I mean, the private sector is a, I mean, the, you know, the animal spirits of the private sector. How many times have we said that? Um, the most efficient way to do X or Y or Z and, you know, the, um, the innovation of capitalism. And will there be a day, and I'm asking because I don't know the answer, will there be a day sooner than later? I think it'll eventually be a day when we bypass the dealership. But will there be a day in the not-too-distant future when Josh decides he wants a Toyota? or a Hyundai, or a GM, or a Ford, and he goes to Amazon, and Amazon has a brokerage agreement or some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of compensa compensation model for being the conduit, the internet delivery system that allows Josh to go on a website and personally, um, you know, pick interior color, exterior color, uh, transmission, engine, tires, rims, you know, CD players, uh, Bluetooth, whatever, uh, moonroof. Um, and never, ever communicate with a, a dealership. I mean, or, or is that where we're headed eventually? I don't know the answer uh, to that question, 
you, you got to start thinking about, you know, the most efficient way to do things are not always in the economy's best interest. I mean, if you were to do that, let's say I mean, that, that's better for the consumer, that's better for the manufacturer, you cut out the middleman. Who's not for cutting out the middleman? How many times have you done something in your life, Rev, and, and you say to yourself, okay, I'm cutting out the middleman, it's going to be better for me and better and better for mm-hmm. them. But we've built this enormous system, I mean, this enormous kind of a automobile ecosystem that the dealership is vital and important and critical to that. Um, are we going to preserve that? Are we going to let the internet, you know, just basically obliterate the way we've historically conducted businesses? So hypothetically, I mean, we've got auto dealers that advertise on community broadcaster radio stations. Um, I've always believed that some of the most lucrative advertising deals in radio are auto dealers. I mean, they have found great value in promoting their brand, promoting their dealership, promoting their product over the radio airways. Imagine the negative effect or impact it has on jobs and the economy, the local economy. I mean, if Amazon were to become the place that everybody goes and buys their car, no matter what the manufacturer is, imagine how many jobs are lost in our listening area. I mean, imagine the the, the impact that has on uh, the economy. So are we always looking for the most efficient way or are we looking for a fair way to keep everybody? It's a little bit like, I mean, I read an article years ago about the dental industry. And there was a group who believed they had come up with some sort of caffeine. It's not caffeine. Uh, what, what's in toothpaste? I mean, help Fluoride. Me here. Fluoride. I mean, there was some sort of um, chloride. Fluoride. That, uh, chlor, uh, fluoride. 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 Uh, chloride. I mean, I'm sorry, not chloride. Fluoride. Um, that, that would lead to no cavities and no problems with your with your teeth. But, but they thought about the entire dental industry. I mean, how many dental schools are there in America? How many dentists are there in America? How many office suites are occupied by dentists in America? Um, but you got this magic pill. And the magic pill, that would be an interesting academic exercise. How many Republicans would be in favor of that magic pill? I mean, I, I would imagine if you're a Republican at a dentist, you're not in favor of the magic pill or dental hygienist or somebody who works in, in that profession. You're not so fond of doing away with an entire industry or profession. So it, you see where I'm headed. I mean, should we, should we basically police that? Should we say to the person who knows about the magic pill that would call someone to never have another cavity um, I mean, you still got braces and all these other, you know, uh, crowns, but you would not have to, you know, the, the young people who have to go get checked for cavities and fillings and whatnot, that just totally goes away. I mean, it, it would be an efficiency of the marketplace, but is it in the economy's best, best interest? That's always been a struggle for me. We've got the, um, I mean, if, 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 if I go to a dealership and buy a Hyundai and that Hyundai is $40,000, and I can go to Amazon and bypass the dealership, but I can buy the car for $37,000. I mean, it's better for me. And let's say Amazon makes more on the car they sell via Amazon for $37,000 than they do going uh, through the dealership. I just think you got to be very careful about, you know, what what parts of the economy are important to local. Uh, so, so, so hypothetically, let's say, and I guess this is the reciprocal effect of of economic activity. Let's say that everybody in Florence, Sumter, and Orangeburg are able to buy their car 
on Amazon. They don't go to the dealerships. Um, the dealerships close. The restaurants that depended on the dealerships employees close. Some of the um, some of the parts departments, some of the parts houses that kind of had these alliances with with dealerships, they go out of business. You know, thirty percent of their business walked out of the door. I mean, it just has such a profound effect on the economy. It's easy in the hypothetical. It's easy in theory to say, well, I mean, that's a better way to do it. Well, I mean, a two plus two equaling four. That is the better way to do it. But but at what cost does two plus two equal equal four calls to um some of the local economic activity and some of the local um economic realities? I want to do this before we take a break. And I don't know how well we're doing or not, but um we're back in our studio this week and next week. And the ladies are trying to go shopping, and we know we had a glitch with our website to begin with. But community broadcasters and Pepsi of Florence are, are partnering again in trying to find um, contributors or donors or supporters that will allow us to. We've identified six anonymous families, and the anonymous families have been um, given to us by youth mentors of the PD, the Boys and Girls Club uh, of the PD, and we're trying to pay our respects to Mr. Frank Avant. So for this week and next, we really need. And we apologize. I mean, it was not on you. I had several people say, I went to the website, couldn't make a contribution. We need you to help us. And by the way, I just tried it again, and it was kind of doing the same thing. And so the instruction is to refresh. If you click on the Donate button, and it brings up a and it doesn't load the page for some reason. Uh, if you refresh, the, it'll, it will come up. So there's still an issue there, and we apologize for we, that. We do apologize. But how do they do that? I mean, how, how do you find the... I mean, you told them how to refresh, but yep. how do they get that yep. far? So if you go to the Live 95 website, which is live953.com, and then the sliders across the top of the page uh, with the big banners with the information. So one of those banners is the season of giving. So when you see that banner, you click, that'll take you to the page, and then there's a donate button on that page. Now, what I just tried a minute ago is I pushed donate now, and it took me to a broken link. Can't connect to this page. That was the problem that we were having reported early on. Um, and we put a little note on there that says, if it doesn't work for you, make sure you refresh. So I refreshed the page. I clicked donate again, and it did bring it up. And, you know, it shouldn't be like that. Obviously, I don't know what the issue is. Apologize for that. But And there, there ha- obviously ha- people have been making donations. Much appreciated. And if you've run into that uh, snag while you've tried, we apologize and would ask that you try again. We do. Thank you. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. couple of weeks from now. Uh, will be Christmas. It just seems to me that the the e-commerce part of Christmas makes it less personable. I mean, there, there's not as much human interaction. Um, how important, see, we could do a radio show on this. How important is human interaction to the human experience? I mean, when we when we relegate human interaction to less of a primary role, does society in general pay a price? I think it. If it if it isn't, it will. How do you measure that? Here's my concern, and and, and once again, I know Josh is under the weather, but I I worry about my daughter. I worry about my my boys to some degree that they spend too much of them their time not personally and intimately communicating with friends and neighbors and and family but rather doing it in a digital sphere. Uh, I'm texting. I'm, 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 
I'm emailing, I'm tweeting, I'm, you know, but it's not personal. I mean, I understand it, it's, it's, it's keeping up. And I'm not saying, hey, man, screw all this innovation and technology. I mean, it's bad for the human experience. I, I believe that, but I accept, you know, easier is going to always be attractive. Um, I, I'll tell you this. The reason I like texting and not talking on the phone is I can control the conversation. I mean, it, it ends when? It ends when I decide to, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. That's just the reality. I don't think I, I'm, I'm the only one that feels that way. Uh, you know, you get on the phone with someone and you got things to do and you don't want to be disrespectful or rude, but you're going like, wow, you interrupted me while I was doing X or Y or Z. But but the text allows you to kind of, I mean, you multitask, but, but you're losing, we lose that sense of personalness. You know, um, you get to know somebody. My mom always said about politics, you know, um, get to know people. Uh, politics is about people. It's easy to be mean up close. That's what she'd always say. It's easy to be mean up close. Um, or it's not easy to be mean. Not easy to be mean. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's not easy to be mean. It's harder to be mean to someone if you get to know them a little bit and you have kind of a name and a background and a family and whatnot. Um, but as I, as I, and I'm like Rev, I, you know, I don't do a scientific study, but I'll pay attention and I'm going like, wow, I remember the days that people parked out in the grass, you know, um, a couple of weeks before Christmas and things were picked over and you wanted to get there before we gave a Christmas bonus in our truck body business. And we always try to be respectful of not waiting until the last minute because our employees needed, I mean, you know, kind of counting on that Christmas bonus had become a part of their of their salary and you know that th- they were I-, I guess living paycheck to paycheck in most ways and they needed that christmas bonus to go do you know the santa claus shopping and they didn't want to wait until that late because things were picked over and you couldn't get the choice goods at the um at the choice price josh let's do some trivia if you don't mind i know you're under the weather but i think you're up for that right there you go i knew you would. <laughs> i knew you'd step up and be a gamer um <laughs> Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Want to thank we thank Pepsi a second ago for helping us with the um with the fundraiser trying to uh, allow six families that don't expect to have a real good Christmas to have one they never imagined. Um, they also help us with the takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia question. Uh, we're talking about e commerce and shipping and you know um, buying cars on Amazon one of these days or not. I read something, I don't know, a couple of weeks back that surprised me. Um, the United States Postal Service still holds the title for the biggest parcel service by volume. I mean, they, they handle packages for, I mean, a lot of different places and companies and entities and, and enterprises. But there's one company that has surpassed other companies to become um, – the largest shipper of parcels in the world. Who is that company? 843-661-0937. And this is by volume. Shipping by volume for this company is the largest in in the world. I'll give you um, ones at 5.3 billion, ones at 3.4 billion, ones at 3.05 billion. What company exceeded the other two by a couple of billion in um in shipping parcels from point A to point B? Hi, you are on the air. What is your guess? 
Hello? Oh, go to the next line. Hi, you're on the air. What is your guess? FedEx. Nope, not FedEx. 843-661-0937 is the number. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? UPS. Nope, not UPS. Mm. 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 843-661-0937. They're in second and third place or third and second place Interesting. in that uh, in that ranking. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? UPS. Nope. These would be the obvious answers. Yeah, I mean, UPS and FedEx would be the obvious yeah. answers. Yeah. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? DHL. Uh, nope. They're number four in this ranking. Hmm. Hello, you're on the air. What's your guess? Amazon. You're right. Amazon passed FedEx and UPS last year, um, and they will exceed last year's volume of $5.3 billion. That's crazy. They will ship 5.3 billion packages. You've seen the prime trucks all yeah. over the, on the I mean, interstate. Well, I mean, they, they said five years ago that eventually we will pass UPS and FedEx as the largest parcel delivery service in the world, and they have. They have passed both FedEx and UPS. Who is this and where are you calling from? Okay, this is Robin from Florence. Okay, we'll sit tight. Get, we'll, get your, um, we'll get you back to Josh. He'll get all your information. All three are doing exceedingly well. But Amazon has passed both FedEx and, or really UPS number two, FedEx number three. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.